0: Michael here, and I'm back for another Lego Masters postseason interview on my podcast, Talk Bricks Masters. Today, I'm going to break down all the episodes with finalists Steven and Steven, just like I break down all the Lego news weekly on my YouTube channel, Talk Bricks. It's been so much fun getting to talk to all the teams, and the fun isn't stopping anytime soon, as I'll have even more postseason deep dive coverage with all your favorite teams. So you're definitely going to want to stay subscribed to the podcast to make sure you don't miss out on anything. And with that all out of the way, let's jump into my deep dive with Steven and Steven. Well, we're back for another postseason interview, and I had to bring one of your favorites back and making their podcast debut. We've got Steven and Steven. Say hello to everyone on the podcast. Hey, everyone. (laughs) Hello. Well, we're so excited to have you. We can't wait to dive into all the background, all the details, all the stories, all the jokes, everything we might have missed. But I'd be remiss to sort of uh, not talk about the, you know, your journey before Lego Masters, what helped you get there. So just to kick things off. You know, what was your sort of like Lego origin story? I, I know, Crash, you're a, you're a superhero fan. So, you know, what was your Lego origin story? And then, how did, and then what took it to the next level for you? I
1: think, uh, I think Yo Yo's got a better story than I do, but uh, I guess <laughs> I'll go first because it's shorter. Uh, like most people that end up on Lego Masters, I've been a fan of Lego since I was a kid. Uh, I've been building with the bricks for a long, long time, but not to any high level. I don't do mocks. I don't do, much outside of sets. So as a kid, you know, I built my, my Blacktron sets and my Mtron sets and all of those little things and get a bunch of different boxes of just plain bricks, do my thing. And then I turned about 15, 16, you know, girls started coming into my life and parties <laughs> and wanting to quote, be cool. And then sports on top of that, from peewee, hockey to baseball to whatever. So uh, things took up my time. And, uh, Kind of went away from it and then uh, got onto the fire department and always been a comic book fan. So, Lego released a series of Batman Lego uh, about 10, (laughs) 15 years ago. And a buddy of mine got me the the Batwing with Joker um, with it. And I built it and it stands up. It's got a stand that you can put on your table and stuff like that. And it was amazing. I'm like, this is so cool. I need more of this. So, that Boxing Day, which is traditionally (laughs) Canada's Black Friday, that's when all the sales happened. I went to (laughs) Toys R Us and I bought every set that they had from the Batman line. I think I spent 450 bucks that day, which seems small by today's standards, but back then (laughs) that was a lot of money. Uh, And I I only missed out on one set, which I'm still missing to this day, and it kind of makes me mad. So I'll have to hunt for that one day. Uh, But that brought me back in and I've been going out and building ever since I got the the fire hall from from, uh, the modular series and I had to hunt down the the couple that came before that and got those to complete the set and I have got every modular since then minus the jazz club because I haven't had a chance to go out and get it yet cuz I worked yesterday <laughs> and uh yeah it, it's been a love affair ever since
0: Uh, I'm definitely much the same way. I love all the sets and I have them all on display in my room. Uh, And those original Batman sets, you know, are some of my favorites and there's plenty I'm missing, but at least I have all the minifigures. So I feel at least a little bit better about it. But uh, Steven, what about you?
2: Um, gee, my, my story goes back a little ways. I'm, I was one of the old guys on set. So my (laughs) story started in the seventies, um, and I had some of the pre-modern day minifigures <laughs> of the day, but my very first set that I recall was in 1979, the Yellow Castle. And that factored into a couple of our design challenges. Sure. That influence that I put into that. So that that classic Yellow Castle was it just opened my world to this entire fantasy genre that then went into classic space and then then pirates. So predominant. Throughout the 80s and early 90s, it was all I ever wanted. Like, don't <laughs> don't bore me with books and socks and things like that. I, I had this entire fantasy world of creations. And uh, much like crash, you get into that high school university stage, different priorities. I needed to save money for tuition and and going and trying to entertain friends and girls and cars and stuff like that. So it, it kind of took a bit of a, a step back for me as my priority sequence. But in 1999, um, my wife and I were saving up for a house and they introduced Star Wars, which was my, <laughs> that that intro into licensed products. It combined two of my all-time favorite things. So it became that jump back endpoint. point. So although I don't consider myself to really necessarily have true dark years, It was what kind of pulled it back out of me. So uh, 99, 2000, 2001, I I started snapping up stuff left, right and center and my wife and I, we bought our first home and then I had a Lego room in mind and <laughs> and, and that got sidetracked by children. So then we started having kids um, and the hobby took a bit of a backseat for a few years. But then as soon as my kids were old enough, um, it was something that they were really into right away, which pleased me to no end because I got to use that excuse, but honey, it's for the kids. lego started influxing into our house and then i started pulling out all the stuff from my my youth that thankfully my parents never got rid of they they happily stored it for years uh and then in the last 18 years my life has just been completely dominated by revisiting the sets (laughs) of my youth as well as exploring the new lines uh um, I was a follower of Jamie Burrard's work early on. And when Cafe Corner came out, his first modular, then I was like hooked right from the word go for that cityscape stuff, which has since changed a bit of the horizon of my room away from the classic stuff into the more modern pieces. And I'm a big comic book fan. So the superhero line. Anyway, I could go on and on. It just drew me and <laughs> I, I related to stuff. There was the licensed products. There was, they were no longer generic minifigures. They were that's the Flash. That's Batman. That's Luke Skywalker. Like all those relatable characters of uh, that were influential to my development as a human being. That's <laughs> that's how I got into it. Yes, uh, I I love the minifigures, especially all
0: the licensed ones. So I'm right there with you. Um, you know, so you know, obviously now you're both hooked on Lego. What got you involved with the casting process of the show? Like, what made you say? I want
2: to be on TV. Um, well, originally we said we didn't. <laughs> 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 so I, I've i been a follower of the show, uh, obviously a fan of of the product, but the Lego Masters show in particular, I've followed some of the other um, ones from overseas. Uh, I've actually known Ryan McNaught for a number of years, so I followed some of the Australia stuff early on. Um, th- they reached out in, in a generic sense. Um, they They saw some stuff I did online, I guess. Uh, contacted me through Facebook. I'm not a very suave social media guy. Like I'm in my (laughs) late 40s. I didn't grow up with it. So I largely ignore messages that come from places that I don't know. Um, And Crash is very much the same way. So they reached out. I ignored. They reached out again. I ignored. Um, I only say this from the fact that they were persistent, not that they necessarily needed us, but they (laughs) they kept reaching out and through a... friend in the community who is mutually associated with multiple people, he, he alerted me to the fact that the uh, casting was trying to get in touch with us, had a fantastic conversation with the the guy from casting, which embarrassingly, I, I tried to, to to say that I'm, I'm not the guy you're looking for. <laughs> <laughs> this this just isn't who I am. I, I never figured myself to be the guy that um I would walk into a room and someone would say, you've got four hours to build a duck. Go. Like if you see my, <laughs> my design table, it's filled with projects that sit for days, weeks, months, in some case years. I'm constantly fine tuning. I'm constantly recreating. I'm constantly adding content. So I didn't really feel like I could be successful on the Lego Masters platform, knowing what I knew about the show. Um, what I didn't know about myself at that time, and I think through conversations with casting early on, uh, I did a lot of creations for my kids. So my kids would challenge me to do things because they were young and they wanted things that weren't commercially available on the shelves and I had the bricks here. So it turned out I, I was probably a little more well versed in that than I gave myself credit for. Um, they they obviously like the 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 profession that I, I'm in. Uh, and. They Asked about you know is there a firefighter you like to build with, and I'm like, that's (laughs) where I came in. Yeah, I have (laughs) one call to make and only one call, and if he turns us down, we're dead in the water. But this guy is is the guy. So I phoned up my my buddy Crash, and I mean we have different memories of how the conversation went. I feel like I didn't even get it out of my mouth, and he was agreeing to it, but (laughs) he apparently had a little more hesitation. He had just uh, gotten injured and was dealing with some workplace uh, stuff. So he, um, he was very, very, very into it, which helped in make me more enthusiastic of the process. Um, worth mentioning to people that are out there, if you if you have the same kind of thought, I, I initially struggled with that whole concept of being judged by a jury of my peers. I've been in the AFOL <laughs> community for years. And I know a lot of fantastic human beings. And I thought to myself, well, I don't want to look like an idiot. <laughs> So, um, I signed up another guy to help me look like an idiot. No, 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 no! I took the ended. idiot
1: mantle for you. That's what I'm here for. Yeah. I'm so the, the co- show. You're the pony. Show yeah.
2: Pony. The conversation with with Crash was pretty pretty quick, and then casting loved him. He he is larger than life. You only got a snippet of his personality on the show. I assure you, friends. Like it's uh, he he is the party. He is the guy that walks into the room and everyone smiles. So huge part of our success. It exactly. helps
1: that I am physically huge, too. I mean, six, three, three hundred pounds. i I don't get missed
2: a lot. <laughs> i'm I'm six two hundred and thirty pounds, and I was called Small Steve on set. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, well, we won't be going over my my height and weight, but uh, <laughs> but, you know, so so you're you know getting through the casting process, you know, it's very exciting. What did you both do to prepare for the show? Obviously, we've heard, know a lot of different versions of that but what was your version of it
1: oh boy um well there was a lot of time spent in steve's studio whether it was um during our meetings with some of the casting people or producers through the process steve and i would sit down and we would discuss things before that happened or during the meetings or whatever kind of goals that we wanted to do steve would show me a few little tips and tricks because again He's a mock guy, I'm a set guy. So I thought my skill set was rather limited relative to his and I even thought that when we got cast and moved into uh moved into the show which was a, a big eye opener. So uh we did a lot of practice runs, yeah. but um we definitely practiced the techniques like I I'm not well versed in building spheres just so we did that um over and over again building different shapes and different designs and uh, using different techniques, whether it's snot building studs up, uh, sculpting um, technique. We did a little bit of technique. Steve doesn't have a lot of it in his studio. So we were a little limited in our practice time, but we did uh, goof around with it just a little bit, but uh, basically just getting familiarized with the different aspects of what the Lego brick can bring is kind of how we prepared and then went through our audition and did pretty okay. I mean, (laughs) we didn't, some teams get slapped together like a, Uh, Two people from a lug that don't necessarily work together very much or two people that are from opposite coasts and they have a similar field of work, but they don't really work together. Steve and I have known each other for nearly 15 years. I think it's 13 years this yesterday. Yesterday would have been 13 years that we've known each other. So uh, we, we had a dynamic together from doing things together already. We've never really built together, but we both know who each other are. We both know how to play off of each other when we're goofing around. And I literally mean play off of each other because we are just two 10-year-olds <laughs> trapped in old men's bodies. So True. It's a, it's a, it was a good time trying to get that all figured out.
0: For sure. Um, so, you know, obviously... You know, you get, you get cast, you're now on the show. It's the first episode and you're stepping on set for the first time, you know, talk me through what that was like, you know, it, and entering sort of the, you know, the Lego Olympics, as many other contestants have called it, you know, for the first time.
2: It it was such a special experience. I, it's really hard to articulate it because again, having followed the show, I, I'm aware of the door opening and the approximate layout of of the floor. Um, we had been hounding production to just get a, a view, just get a snippet. I just want to peek prior to the the start of the first episode. And they they were like, Nope, nope, we need to capture the moment. And I was I was speechless. Like I I think when you see me walk out, I'm I've got my mouth open, just like oh catching flies. Like it was unreal. They had these monstrous 2 by 4 light bricks that come down out of the ceiling yep. and, and that iconic dark blue floor. I love that dark blue tone. I, I love that as far as Lego brick colors. Uh, and then, of course, you see the brick pit at the end, and you're just like, "Oh man, this is incredible!" <laughs> it was so fun to walk out into that set. For me, that first moment walking
1: through the door, because we we were always last because we're the big dudes, <laughs> so we had to be at the back of the pack so we wouldn't block the view of other people. And uh, everyone else is walking in and doing their,
2: "Oh my gosh, oh, no,
1: this is amazing!" And we walk in, and there's Will standing with that brown bomber jacket right in front of us, just big goofy grin ear to ear watching us freak out as we walk in the room for the first (laughs) time and to me that's the lasting memory is being like that guy is about to interact with us for at least one episode this is going to be a lot of fun i mean we're gonna we're gonna have to make the most of this right here and uh and I think we did uh, yeah. as much as we could. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, you know, obviously in each episode, you get, you get the challenge and you have to go back, come up with the concept, start the build, figure out how to divide, you know, the labor up. What was your, you know, what would you say kind of high level was your strategy for how you both approach challenges, how you divide labor, those sort of things. We never talked about it, not once.
2: <laughs> yeah, it, it, we. Um, it's a very interesting dynamic, I think, because Crash and I both being in emergency services, we're very aware of what our roles and responsibilities are to us uniquely. And when it when it's your unique role, it's your strength. So we all we always play to our strengths. And it, I think over, if we look at it as the the entire season, the days that I was at my worst, Crash was at his best. And the days when he may not have been at top form, I was able to pick up and supplement that role. So there was never really conversation about divide and conquer. Um, when it comes to the AFOL community, when you meet new people, people generally ask, oh, are you a brick builder? Are you LDD? I've never been the guy that does it digitally. I, I have to have bricks in my hands. So it, it's edited into a few the episodes where we run to the table and then you'll see me instantly sprint to the brick pit (laughs) Uh, because crash is starting to jot down notes and I need, I need physical elements on the table, even if it's just to be able to say, okay, well, we'll put a building where this brick is and a building where that brick is. And then a road where these bricks are just so that there was a, a vision, if you will. Yeah. Um, creative team actually went at us constantly about put it on the iPad, put it on the iPad. And
1: Uh, it was, it's not my world. (laughs) There were challenges where that was a bit frustrating because I remember sitting there and we'd have a, we'd have an idea, not a plan, but an idea. And we'd be told you have to write it down or draw it on the iPad before you go to the brick pit. And then we'd be like, okay, three minutes in, Steve would be gone. And I'd be like, what do you think about that? And okay, I'll just go. I'll see
2: you later. (laughs) <laughs> I would often just my my creative process is very flighty <laughs> uh, I will sometimes be in mid conversation and euphoria, I have to go get something. And then I run and I get it because it's easier for me to show you than it is to explain it. So it's my process. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, it, it definitely sounds like it worked for the two of you. So this first episode was this space challenge it was called ready to launch was the episode. Yours was the LMFD, the Lego Masters fire department. And, you know, obviously, you know, it was you're trying to put a little bit of yourself into the build. It sounded like this was something you guys were you know, going to put into some build, but you are able to put it right away into a build yeah. here. So talk us through what was it like, you know, kind of putting this one together. The big story at least was, like you sort of alluded to earlier, Crash, like, you know, you didn't have a ton of technic experience, you know, and, and that was a risk for you. You know, I, I don't know how much of that was just played up for TV, but talk us through this episode.
1: First off, I'm just going to stop you right there. None of what we did was played up for TV. That's us.
2: A hundred percent
1: us. We were not anybody that we weren't in real life. That's that's exactly who we were is what you saw on TV. There were parts they edited out for sure, but everything you saw is one hundred percent genuine for us. There's nothing made up.
0: Sure, sure. I was just saying how dramatic it was that you didn't know Technic. that would that's what I meant might have been played up in the edit.
2: <laughs> well, there's some geometry of Technic that I am quite a bit more familiar with now, but it was trial and error when we were on set. Like um a long-term builder like Nick would understand that there's spatial rules or how how Technic works. Um, What worked extraordinarily well in this challenge, and I'm going to throw some kudos to my my partner, and it's going to sound not like a compliment at first. (laughs) Um, My partner doesn't know what he doesn't know. And that is an amazing attribute because there were things... Uh, So the module that we were given to build off of had studs up, but the item that we wanted to build needed to be able to build up, down, and both sides. So I said to Crash, like, okay, we need to figure out how to put studs on all sides. He's like, yeah, okay, I'll I'll make it work. I'm like, no, it's not as easy as that. You can't make the the geometry. He's like, no, no, I'll figure it out. Like, no, no, it it doesn't work like that. You have to understand. (laughs) He's like, no, I'll just figure it out. And he did. And it was, it was atypical, but it was like for myself, I would have, I would have ruled it out too early because I didn't give it the effort. Uh, He gave it the effort and he made it work and created a, a pure block where we were able to build off five surfaces in equal directions. And that's, that's amazing. And he, he made that happen out of his understanding of the product and not, not factoring in limitations. And you even saw at one point, Jamie Burrard, Brickmaster Jamie comes to the table and says, well, that's. Different. <laughs> <laughs> it worked, didn't it? It worked. It worked. It was absolutely brilliant. But he, um, he, he implemented strategies that weren't in my repertoire, and it worked out absolutely awesome. Mm-hmm. I, I, it was perfect. Yes, and you made the Maltese
0: cross. You know, obviously, it's all over the fire uniforms, those sort of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, you talked a lot about being firefighters, obviously, in this first episode. And there was a quote, you know, that you've gone into a lot of fires, but this is more stressful. And, you know, I'm curious, you know, do you stand by that? You know, and is that true? (laughs)
1: Yeah, I absolutely stand by that quote. Um, I am trained to go into a fire. I am trained to know what to look for and how to perform in different situations that we have there. I know what my partner's gonna do. I know what the other crews are gonna do based on their roles, no problem. Going into LEGO Masters, I had no clue what <laughs> to expect or how to behave. And with the time crunch, it was like, okay, are, are we really meant to be here? Like, what is going on right now? I have no, no forking idea of what's, what's really meant to be happening here. So as that clock ticked down, I knew Steve had a vision right off the top. He's like, I know what I wanna do. We're building a Maltese cross. I'm like, cool, let's do it. Cause I was just along for the ride at this point. I'm like, awesome, I'm the, I'm the, the goofball and you're the Lego guy, we'll do what the Lego guy wants to do. <laughs> um, so when I stated that, I think we had two hours left on the clock when that actually was said and we were trying to put everything so the pins lined up and it looked somewhat symmetrical. And I was literally like, man, these parts keep falling apart in my head. And I was like, man, I've been in a lot of fires. This is but this is way more stressful because it was (laughs) it was foreign to us. And we wanted to do well and show well while we were there. And um, I think we we accomplished that goal. Um, I don't know if it's exactly what they were hoping for. I mean, you you look at all the other spaceships that were there. I don't remember the challenge being said it had to be a spaceship. No, it had to dock onto the space station. So we made a module that could float between the different positions on the space station as if it were a fire engine to fight fires in the space station was the goal. And then uh, in our original uh, presentation to the judges and to Will, they asked, well, can you spray water on fire in space? Does it actually create? And I'm like, listen, (laughs) you're talking to a guy who teaches the hazmat (laughs) program. (laughs) there are oxidizers that can create their own fire and we can create agents that will spray on top of this and put out that fire on the outside of the structure. And I went off on this whole like three minute tangent and a lesson on how (laughs) chemical reactions can occur without the presence of oxygen and creating fire. And yeah, that that all got cut and they give us a script to read for our story. (laughs) But uh, I was really proud of the concept we came up with and why we did it the way we did it without the quote swooshability that some of the builds like uh, Eddie and Aziza and uh, Greg and Brendan would have had with their spaceships. But then I also started thinking, does it really need to be swooshable? You're in space, there's no gravity or air resistance. It just needs to be able to move. So that I had super amount of confidence in Steve's vision for what we were trying to accomplish within the parameters of the, uh, of the challenge. And I thought we approached it in arguably the most unique way by not having a traditional spaceship. I think the closest people to what we did would have been uh, Carrie and Patrick and uh, Drew and Miranda and what they were trying to do with their 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 structures
0: yeah well listen uh you know we could debate the rules but it worked out for the two of you um, <laughs> you know in that this was your first win the first challenge and the first win um you know talk me through that because obviously you know I, you know you mentioned we'll at least be here for one episode uh
2: yeah. you're doing okay here in the first episode yeah I well, still feel
1: bad for Nick and Stacy on that one
2: I do too <laughs> they yeah they didn't get the proper props for that one just because uh, that's my yeah. fault. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, long story with that, that one. Yeah, well, we talked about it actually with Nick and Stacy on
0: the previous episode that it, that it really was a final two that just wasn't edited into a final or a top two, I should say. We'll, we'll, um, we'll for, tell you why in Nick a second. <laughs> okay, go for it. Well, well I'll let Steve go.
2: Uh, episode one was just unfamiliar territory for everyone. I think uh, the, the term imposter syndrome popped up with a lot of different <laughs> themes within the room because nobody really knew where they stood in the grand scheme of things. And to be honest, you're in a room building with other people but you're not spending a lot of time looking around. So uh, truthfully, by the time people are putting their creations up front, that was literally the first time I'd ever seen them. So <laughs> we had we had set out with some fairly fundamental goals. One was we had to have fun. If We weren't having fun. This wasn't worth the, the adventure. Uh, we had to have fun and we had to just do the best that we could do. And we didn't worry about anybody else. Um, this challenge was about putting our own personalities into the build. And of course, we're marketed as the firefighters, we're there in uniform. We we went big and bold. We had to, you had to make a statement, right? Because for all we knew, that was our one and done. We we could have gone home that day. It, uh, I think there's a lot of stuff on the show that boils down to the right challenge on the right day, but also the wrong challenge on the wrong day. Sure. So we took a leap of faith. And then you see a, a bunch of more traditional spaceships and we're like, oh, oh did we did we go down a road that we shouldn't have? <laughs> but um, we we played into things that uh, the Brickmasters valued. Uh, color theory is a major one for Brickmaster Amy. So having the iconic red and yellow, it stood out from across the room. We got a very good favorable spot to position it. So it uh, it was great. But we, wow, we did not know where we stood in that pack. Like, we there. There's that little gap of okay. Now it's time for the judging. We're like no clue. <laughs> <laughs> I honestly have no idea. We were happy with what we had up there, but did it? Did it take? Did it have what mattered the most? We actually had no no clue. We were genuinely quite surprised when we were called up as top two, um, just simply because we didn't know the process yet. And well, oh, worth mentioning, we were the very first team that got judged. So we had not had any ability to watch anybody else. And if you look at me, I'm, I am so nervous. I thought I was going to throw up or fall down. (laughs) <laughs> i had no idea what to say i didn't know where to stand where to keep my hands but just like mm, it was uh it was nerve-wracking and and it was all very very new to us
1: yeah we uh getting to know nick and stacy as we started doing more challenges throughout the show they would have preparation time where they came up with their stories and stacy would have like a script memorized in her head almost and be able to present it <laughs> no, steve no. and i early on were like okay you do tech." i was like yo-yo you do technical i'll do story okay yeah he understands the product better than i do and what we're trying to accomplish and i would go up and he'd be like you got this i'm like yeah i'll figure it out (laughs) like just like with the technic and we'd go up to the front and i would wing it be like okay i have an idea of what we want to say let's see if this works let's go um yeah and when uh, steve says that we were surprised that we got called up to the front that is the reason nick and stacy didn't get any airtime as one of the top two because uh When we got called up, that clip of me and Steve doing our little fist bump thing on the riser, I turned to him and I went, what the F? Are you serious? (laughs) So we walk up. And uh, we get the judging done and then they uh, they do, and the winner is Stephen and Stephen and I did a big, f yeah, as loud as I could. And th- yeah, that's uh, not going to make
2: it on TV. That's not going to make
0: it. <laughs> no. but,
2: uh, yeah, we we <coughs> were informed of colorful language being frowned upon and we had to modify some of the vernacular, but it was all completely new and took us off guard. It was so, wow, what an honor. What an honor to, to be there than to be selected in top two and then just the wildest dreams come true of being get that first victory which was wild unbelievable Uh, i I
0: can only imagine
2: (laughs) i
1: I still feel really bad for drew and miranda because Drew is super talented and Miranda is like one of the nicest people in the world you will ever meet. And she's super smart. They were good kids. And just to, to go out on the first one on yeah. something that I actually thought was a pretty cool idea. Just, it didn't have that showability with the angle it had to be at, man. I, I still think real hard about that day. Every time, every time we went up for an elimination challenge, I was like, Drew and Miranda should still be here for this. Like, this is almost, isn't fair. It's I get the, the things that you have to go through with reality television and whatever. But having never done that before on any season of the US LEGO Masters, it felt it felt hurtful almost because <laughs> they didn't get their their time to shine. And I remember talking to Miranda during the build and she was like, what do you think about this? And I'm like, well, maybe if you... Build the inside like this, and we were bouncing ideas back and forth because they were pretty close to us. And yeah, I, it it still kind of sits sour with me that they had to go when they did. But it is what it is, right? That's reality competition television.
0: Yeah, I know. I, I definitely felt conflicted. I'd have to go back and hear what I said about it, but I definitely felt conflicted in the moment. Like, was their build really like sent home worthy? To your point, but uh, but alas, we have to move on to the Jurassic brick world challenge, uh, you know, and this one was a fun one. Your build was Dinny's accident and you
2: had fireballs
0: as your special effect.
2: Uh, okay. You know,
0: obviously go ahead, Steven.
2: No, no, uh, this, this was one of those challenges that really went down a different road. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, it's funny that you say that. Cause obviously you know, you go from the high highs of winning the first challenge to, you know, now here in the second challenge, you're running into some struggles, you know, to particularly with the head movement of your, Dinosaur about how much time you spent building out your city. So talk us through that from your perspective.
2: So being a fan of uh, Brickmaster Jamie's plethora of, of experience in the in the Lego world, he's a building guy, and we had this opportunity to do this dinosaur scene within the city. I'm like, oh, I'm gonna make these buildings amazing um, <laughs> through a lo- you'll never ever see it. But like, there's a cafe with a Brista and coffee machines and in, in the front lobby and. And there's a reception security desk in one of the other buildings. Like I, I put so much time and energy (laughs) into it. And when the brick masters came over to talk to us, they said, okay, tell us your story. And we ran through the story. Okay. So what are you working on? I'm working on the buildings. Okay. So tell me that story again. So I tell them the story and then there's a pause and I'm like, "Mm -mm, I I can see where this is going. (laughs) And what are you working on? Like, I'm working on something that doesn't matter. <laughs> so you could see the bottom floors of the buildings where I was trying to impress Brickmaster Jamie, not realizing that there was a bigger picture to achieve. <laughs> so we we wasted a lot of time, I wasted a lot of time in those early stages. Um, I was quite comfortable with brick building the dinosaur uh, because I had a concept in my head. However, when it came to doing the brick build dinosaur, The part as as amazing as the brick pit is, there are some surprisingly weird gaps. Sometimes it's a part type, or sometimes it's a color. So I had this vision, like this. The story of Denny is actually off of a iconic model that's at the Calgary Zoo in our hometown. So I was going for some very specific colors. Realized the colors were not available, and the pieces that I needed. So then I started making the pieces picking the pieces and then figuring out what colors were there. Reverse engineered it from that. Started building the dinosaur, got it three quarters completed, put it in the streets. And it was the exact same colors as the building behind it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that one will haunt me forever. I'm so glad we didn't go home on that one because that would not have, that would not have been my swan song that I would have wanted. Um, It was an absolute error on my part. It was, the short-sightedness of working of what's directly in front of you. Um, but what it did is it lent to a new strategy for Crash and I, and I think you've probably heard other teams talk about it called the one three ten rule. Yeah. You're building at one feet of range. You need to step back every now and then to three feet of range and then occasionally step back so you have a 10-foot viewing angle. And that is what the camera sees. So you need to be aware of that. So that particular challenge was a big learning curve. But I assure you, any fans that are out there that are asking (laughs) about it, if it had worked like the two hours before judging, it would have been really spectacular.
0: And it (laughs) did work two hours before judging.
2: It worked. Everything worked. The proof of concept was there. The Brickmaster saw it work. But when it came time to judging, nothing worked. (laughs) It was so frustrating, which is why when you hear Will, ask us, so are there's some movements here and you can just see me like, no, we've had some technical difficulties. (laughs) It all worked hours before and then battery packs died. I don't know if yeah. you saw that. Nah, I don't remember it being on the TV, but the battery pack in the brick built dinosaur was in the body. But to do that, I had to turn it over. But to be able to make the head rotate, it has to be on a an axle shaft, which means it's not actually attached. So I turned the dinosaur over and the head and neck fell off and smashed onto the ground. And oh, then no. I went down to pick up the head and then a leg fell off the dinosaur and then parts were everywhere. And I'm trying to mash it all together. Yeah, I remember
1: standing back because there's Steve and I are big dudes. There's not enough room for the both of us to be in there to fix this one issue, even though there were several. Um, and we only had five minutes to do it so i was standing back at the judging podium and i remember just laughing and i'm turning to <laughs> amy and jamie as they're waiting for us to get this thing fixed and i'm like i'm gonna rename this build murphy because everything that could go wrong right now is going wrong yeah i'm just i i doubled over laughing i couldn't help it i'm like oh we're going home on this one all right cool this this was a good ride guys thanks for the opportunity <laughs>
2: Well, I was at that point a little frantic. Uh, I had knots in my stomach. I couldn't believe that it was coming down to this moment of proof of of this working. And I have now destroyed a portion of the build. And there's parts all over the floor. And then Crash, I I heard him talking to the Brickmasters. And he must have seen that I had pure panic all <laughs> over me. And ladies and gentlemen, I am not a person that panics easily. Like I I am not the guy that loses his cooler composure, but I was I was almost frantic trying to get things together and crash gave me a pat on the shoulder and goes, It's gonna be okay. And then that was that little switch. I'm like, all right, it's no longer a build that moves, it's a static build and i just i one of the legs of the dinosaur was gone so i just sort of placed it up against the building and we just threw caution to the wind at that point like okay and then
1: our fireballs didn't work yeah <laughs> so it comes time for the pyro to go off and we've already explained hey our movements not working cuz somebody left the battery packs turned on during our photo shoots And uh, it comes time to go do the actual pyro. Will goes and hits the button and the guy backstage handling pyro. One of them shoots, but not the other. Ah, crap. So they reset it because they're going to do it again. And then the other one shoots, but not the first one. Ah, son of a gun. And then they go and fire it again. And they both fire, but they're like super tiny because they cut the gas to air ratio wrong. So there's, you just see scalded brick. <laughs> so that shot that they have of the pyro going off is actually superimposed of like three different shots
2: Pretty trying
1: to get that to go off in, in sequence and with both of them looking okay. So when crash thing that, that's about the pyro, Uh, when we raced for those eggs and I'll let Steve tell the actual race stories. But uh, when we pulled out our egg and opened it up on the table, you know, we were like, Oh, cool. Fireballs. We can make that work and started getting down to the sketching. And then our producer, our story producer that worked with us through the whole season comes over and he's like, guys, you got fireballs, you're firefighters. Let's see some big energy. And so, all right, here we go. So that big fireballs and double high five. We were like, all right. Is that enough? Do you guys got what you need? Yeah, perfect. Awesome. All right, let's get to work.
2: <laughs> so, Michael, did you ever hear the story of of the uh, running for the eggs? Has someone explained that one? I can't remember. No, I... lay it on us. <laughs> so everyone, they were like football-sized dinosaur eggs that were brick-built. Um, but they weren't like a Lowell sphere where they're built out in multiple planes. They were just brick built straight up, but they have a removable top Well, Crash is a former football player. And I've, I spent my time on the gridiron as well. So we went into this heap. So there, all these eggs were in a nest at the front of the room and everyone just grabbed them blind. You don't know what's inside. And because everyone conglomerated into one group, people were bumping and banging and crashing into each other. And Crash had his tucked underneath the the arm. And then we go back to our table and we're getting ready to open it. And someone says, oh, shoot, I'm bleeding. And then someone's like, oh, man, I'm bleeding, too. And like one person was cut all the way down their forearm and bloody knuckles. Because when you bump into each other with those solid football size Lego bricks, they started cutting people. And after I think there was three people that were cut, then someone's like, oh, man, there's skin on my egg. So then they they had to stop. (laughs) And then they had to do like a bio decontamination and put band-aids on people. So it was, uh, it, it, it perhaps was not as successful as they wanted on a first take.
1: So. And then made us run again to go get them one more time.
2: Yeah. <laughs> wow. Oh my gosh.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously we'll talk about it later, but I feel like all these running for things, you know, uh, you know, uh, caused lots of chaos. I mean, it was made good TV, but you know, more dangerous. I don't know what you're, you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, li- like I said, uh, you know, you, you made it through this challenge. It sounds like, you know, uh, you know, it was obviously it came with its trials and tribulations, but we, we make it through episode two and we get to episode three, the brick and bull ride rodeo. And you had Burton, the bow legged bull riding bullfrog. And, um, and this one I think was a lot of fun. Obviously it felt like, um, for story-wise that this was close to home for you just having had you know, bit, growing up, growing up in Calgary, bull riding, you know, was definitely uh, even something you know one of you had done many times. So um, you know, talk to well, us about this challenge.
1: Done many times. A mechanical bull in a bar is not the same as riding <laughs> an animal. Um, <laughs> So this this was the one where uh, I got to take lead for the first time because we, we were getting uh, kind of the rundown from the challenge team uh, after Will and Jamie and Amy introduced the challenge. Uh, the producers pull you aside and be like, OK, these are the rules and the regulations and the parameters of the build, like the technical specs of what you have to do and what you can or can't do. And uh, Steve was like this. He had his finger to his lips. He was thinking hard. He's like, I have no idea what's going to happen here. How do I make this work? <laughs> and I turned to him like. I got this. And uh, one of the guys on my crew at the time uh, rode bulls in high school. So his last name was Burton. It's Burton. What animal will ride a bull? A bullfrog. So how can a bullfrog fit on a bull? Well, he has to be legged because he's got to ride on that big saddle. So it all just came together with the alliteration and kind of the story And uh, I was like, this is going to be awesome, Steve. Don't worry about it. And Steve built this amazingly strong frame for us to build off of uh, out of Technic and brick. And it like it didn't break when the bull, when our bull rider fell off, it didn't break. So that was our starting point. I built these bow legged jeans coming off of the saddle with these rhinestone crested cowboy boots, which are modeled kind of after a pair I own. We uh, we put the bull rider in like a fun pose where he's got the one hand up and the one hand down. And I remember when we got to the point of telling our story for the judging, I had so many little like bull riding tidbits and alliterations and stuff that all got cut. Like he was the baddest buckaroo this side of Bonsai Billy or something like that. Uh, and we were working next to the doctors. And so this episode was the one where kind of our like forging of a bond with the doctors was born and um, they, we became extremely close. Like I was just talking to Austin, not 10 minutes ago. So um, we started playing games with them like a little one-upmanship. Um, and there was, a, there was a little game that we would play. I don't know how much you know of it, but there was a little game that the doctors and we had on set. <laughs> uh, I won't get into too many specifics unless you want to bring it up. And we had a great time with that throughout the show. And we thought at one point it was actually going to make it on the show the way when production found out. But uh, I'll save that for another day, another time, because this is kind of a family show. Uh, (laughs) And uh, there was also a little game of one-upmanship. So they built a belt buckle for their Billy the Squid. And it had the squid in a cowboy hat and it had uh, gems and stuff on it. But it was like small. I think it was like 10 studs by 8 studs or something like that and sat on there. Their squid so i was like oh we can't let them win that battle we're we're from cowboy country too them being from new mexico and us being from alberta and canada and i built this ostentatious belt buckle that was <laughs> massive i think it was 25 or 26 studs by 13 or 15 or i can't can't even remember and i put all the translucent brick i could on for gems as much shiny gold as i could And I made sure to put a bull riding squid on it to be like, yeah, you may have won a buckle, but we won the whole rodeo. Like, here you go,
0: boys.
1: (laughs) And uh, that got thrown on there. And that was kind of like what really solidified the bond between the doctors and the firefighters on the show was, I believe the third challenge when we finally got to work beside each other and do some goofy stuff that wasn't just backstage or at the hotel. So yeah, it was, that was a lot of fun to do.
0: Yeah. Well, and it worked out quite well. Obviously, you made it to level eight. And, uh, you know, like you said, the whole thing fell off in basically one piece. And Will said it was one of the strongest cores they'd ever
2: seen. Um, uh, so, yeah, this this one definitely worked out for the two of you. Yeah, with uh, the early stages, as Crash was talking about, I'm I was sitting there going like, I I have built a lot of weird things in my day. I have never had to figure out something that could withstand forward, backward, side by side, rotational whip energies. And I was like, ah, it's got (laughs) to start from the core. It's got to start from the core. So I'm glad he had this amazing storyline that just fit right into it. And then I was able to focus on this relatively bulletproof core actually the brick masters dropped it a couple of times and will slammed it to the ground a few times and he actually broke one of the the floor tiles (laughs) i i'll take that as a victory in in itself so it was a very very strongly engineered
0: core yes for sure and i guess lego should take a victory that their bricks are so strong you know as a base unit
2: yeah
0: (laughs) um well then you know We come to the results of this one and you both are in the top two, you know, so obviously episode one, highest highs, maybe episode two, we struggled a bit. Now we're hitting our rhythm again, um, you know, and uh, and we're getting back up there. So that must have felt great.
2: Oh, it felt great. But again, I I, I think we're still so early in the competition. We really didn't understand necessarily where the winning strategy was. Um, I think one thing that lent quite well for us uh, on on the uh, the build itself is if you're familiar with Western culture, it's usually very loud and obnoxious, um, colorful shirts that you wear during the these Western events, and we. He went for that super shocking blue (laughs) and orange and red. And that was that whole concept of standing back from your build, you stood back from that, and you could instantly see the shirt that the guy was wearing. So I think uh, we learned from that episode, how important it is to have a, a model that translates at distance. So
0: yeah, no, I mean, good points and good advice for future Lego masters. But we move on then to episode four, this was out on a limb, the treehouse challenge, and yours was treehouse university. And you know, it was a really exciting build. Obviously it had those big circular tiers and there were so many classes being taught at Treehouse university. Uh, you meant, you mentioned one that got a big call out on the show, which was the firefighter <laughs> teaching the, uh, uh, and then the Dalmatian teaching cats not to go into trees. Um, but talk to us. I have to imagine there's probably a lot of different stories in this one that we didn't get to see on the show. So talk us through maybe, maybe as many as you can remember or some of your favorites. Um, cause I know, uh, I'm not even in my notes and I'm usually like encyclopedic in my notes, but I think in my notes, all I had was there there was a tennis class. There was the cat training class. There was the library, but, Even my notes were
2: a little bit less exhaustive here. So so tell us what we don't know. (laughs) There was a lot to look at at this build. And the the final edit was not in a way where you got to see it all. Um, We were assigned this tree. It just happened to be the largest one in the room, which I think was deliberate because we're the two larger guys in the room. Every other tree had branch configurations of threes, and ours was in branches of four. When you look at those trees at the end of every single branch was like a cluster of of greenery. And we, just, we decided just by the way that the, the tree goes out to a single cluster, then goes up to a second cluster, then goes up to a third. We're like, let's populate them all. Everything, everything's got to have something in it. So that was the need for not just one or two individual classrooms. We had the three central pods as well as a total of 12 outside pods that we had to to contend with. So we had a lot to accomplish in a very short period of time. Um, being that there was no connection points on the tree, uh, Crash and I decided, okay, well, I'm going to work on creating something. And then Crash <laughs> is going to work on the classrooms because... We could very the the tree itself was very hard to work in and in, in tight quarters. And Crash has already explained that you know two big people we were literally butting heads at some points trying to get into the same space. <laughs> we had to work independently of each other. So I created these. Technic boxwork frames that were around the clusters of the branches off the main stem of the tree. And they, when I made them, they were very robust and they allowed for very good good stability to build platforms off of, but they looked kind of obtuse. So then I had to, and these, these are those details that people don't necessarily get to see on TV. Um, I needed to sculpt them in a way that they look more organic. So I, I created a Lowell sphere kind of approach of rounding it out, but using four different types of brown colors so that it looked more like natural tree bark. And when we got towards the end of the challenge, I had a little bit of time extra, and one of the things that I wanted to do, if you're familiar with the Lego Corporation, they're in Billund, Denmark, and in the middle of Billund is the Lego House. It's a very iconic place to visit. I highly sure. recommend it to everybody. In the center of the Lego House is a very, very enormous tree. It's like 30 million bricks or something like that. It's a massive tree that goes floor to ceiling. And it's called the Tree of Creativity. Uh, within that, that was designed by a gentleman by the name of Stuart Harris. Again, an iconic designer, and he we carved so brick-built carvings into the side of the uh, the main body of the trunk. Some of the iconic old Lego sets, like the fire truck and and the duck, and so on and so forth. So within ours, I hid little tiny carvings within the the cluster that would support every platform. So there was there was a little tiny wood-built duck built into the bark <laughs> of the tree. And Brickmaster Jamie actually took a picture of it and said he was going to send it to uh, Stuart Harris, which I thought was pretty cool. Um, but we we had to detail the heck out of them, and then when we came to judging for that, one of the I took pride in some of the weirdest little things. Every now and then, <laughs> one of the judges would say something, and I'd be like, "Yes, that was good." <laughs> but Jamie was looking at the the substructure that hold the platforms, and he goes, "That that is." really good, but it's all cosmetic, isn't it? Yes. It's like, that's not, you didn't need that for structure, did you? I'm like, nope. So he picked up on some really neat things, but of course, being iconic builders, they're going to pick up on some stuff. I just, I wish some of it translated better onto TV, but that's, that's okay. So we, we had some really, really fun things that we did, um, Crash, you want to talk about some of the classrooms?
1: Uh, yeah, so it starts with the uh, with the base, which is the library that made it. Um, so I was down low. We wanted to make sure that the biggest space was someplace that resonated with uh, with users or some some people that have been to uh, to been to university, the library of any university outside of the main big building. If you have one that's specific to a certain subject, it's usually in the basement of the building that it's that's used for. I don't know why it just is. So we put, (laughs) put it in the bottom layer. Anybody could go there, pull a book out, do some studying, whatever. Next level up uh, on the knuckles was the main classroom that we wanted to have. So it was, we did it as an alternative learning. So they were all doing yoga in the classroom while a professor was teaching (laughs) up on the blackboard. And we know from our experience, I'm a trick, I've done some uh, recruit classes within the fire department. We've both been instructors there, you get more benefit if there's some kinesthetic uh, a- aspect to any kind of learning because it resonates more with you. So we wanted to incorporate a little bit of what we knew about teaching into putting some movement in with teaching something. And there was a skeleton hanging in the corner and people late running into the room place to <laughs> doff your bags and stuff like that. And then the top floor was a juice bar where they could the students could kind of unwind and we deliberately left that kind of open so that um, the walls didn't go all the way around in a circle because it is higher up it was about seven and a half feet up off the floor. So you wouldn't be able to see it unless it was open air like that. And I think that's why there's not many shots of it is it is up so high that to get the camera on it they would have had to use the (laughs) boom camera and they might not have had an operator that day for the the beauty shots so that kind of got left out and then each of our platforms had those four branches, like Steve said, and each of those was populated with some other different activity that you would find in universities or colleges. So we had people playing frisbee, we had the pickleball court, we had outdoor classes, we had people reading, we had people doing whatever. We had the a whole bunch, yeah, the botanical gardens, we had, we had a whole bunch of stuff going on there. And then the higher up ones around the juice bar area, we put solar panels and ran Lego cable into the different floors so it would be powered. And then the very top, we had our sign, which was uh, Lego Universe. I can't remember what we called it. Um, it wasn't something as iconic as our camp build with its name, but it was It uh, <laughs> It was. It was called something. We built a sign in the last three minutes and threw it up there just to fill in the last branch that we had to put something on. Uh, yeah, and it, I think it worked out really well. Uh, I understand why we weren't top two, but I'm also, we, I was pretty proud of what we did and I knew we weren't going to be bottom two in that room, just looking around. I'm like, we got something pretty cool here. It's got a big burst of color. It's got some interesting building techniques, especially with Steve's platforms and combine that with the first time that I've ever done uh, brick bending to build those circle rooms. Like I'm, I'm learning on the fly with all of these challenges. <laughs> I, I had to go to I can't remember. Who, who did I go to to learn how to do the brick bending? I think it was Nick. Yeah, like, Mike, Nick, how do I do this? Because they were right beside us. Nick, how do I brick bend? Do this. Okay. Thank you. And just (laughs) all of that stuff happened on that episode. And that was, it was a really collaborative room for that build. Um, probably more so than any of the builds prior because we start to feel each other out. We start to get to know each other better. We've got a weekend living in the hotel with each other. Um, so a lot a lot of stuff backstage is making us gel together a little bit better. And uh, I think it really resonated with how that build started to come together.
0: Yeah, I mean, like you said, really successful build, uh, you know, n- no placement, but listen, sometimes, you know, that's a, that's a good thing too, just to kind of make sure you coast to the next challenge uh, very successfully. And then the next one was, the Brickminster dog show and again you know this was uh, that moment we were alluding to earlier there's all the different colored uh collars you know that <clears throat> match up with the various puppies and dogs that were running all over the studio. You really wanted the Dalmatian. Obviously, it's a symbol of the fire service, as <clears> you say. Um, and you uh, you lived up to your nickname, Crash. So talk us through that moment.
1: <laughs> okay, so let's start right from the beginning. We didn't know what we were getting as a challenge, and they released the dogs. And Emily's freaking out in front of us and Stacy's <laughs> running out to go pet the dog and Tank, who ends up being with Liam and Emily, uh, starts making um, advances Romantic towards Stacy's leg while she's on ground petting another dog. So that was (laughs) was a funny moment that was about to be put into the show, because we had to do lots of interview pieces about it and our side by side stuff. Um, So that's all happening. Everyone's freaking out. We got dogs, we got dogs, we got dogs. And the Dalmatian didn't run out. Like it's kind of stayed at the back in the gallery area. It didn't run out with the rest of the dogs into the middle until it was called and then it ran past everybody to the handler. And stayed back there um but everybody kind of knew what each other wanted like austin is allergic to short-haired dogs so they wanted uh they wanted collins the uh i can't remember what type of dog cavalier. that is. yeah cavalier. the cavalier um emily really wanted the dog that she got uh liam and emily were like we'll just take whatever is left and everybody and the corgi had to go to nick because he's got this thing about corgis on his yeah. <laughs> his social media and twitch stuff um so Before we did the run-up, I remember distinctly certain cast members, I don't want to throw anyone under the bus. I will if you want. Sure, it was Justin. (laughs) It was Justin being like, we all kind of know what we want, we've talked about it, why don't we just say that all here, everyone says what they want and we go up and we get it and then one of the ads comes out and goes nope 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 you have to run for it you know we want to have the big moment standards and practices says it has to be random like this you got to go run for it someone's going to get hurt no 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 it'll be fine you guys will be fine you can go and get it okay so they line us up with the runners from each team in the front row and the in the back is all of the other people standing out of the way and uh Three of us get down in a sprinter stance and get told, don't be in a sprinter stance, come on, stand up. like, okay, whatever. (laughs) We start going. And if you watch what made it on TV, Austin, or sorry, Justin is in front of me along with Ethan and John. And then out of behind me, I hear Dom Dom yell to Ethan, get the Dalmatian! And I'm like, oh no, that's (laughs) not happening. So you can see Justin pull up, put his hands in the air and just back away, because he knows what's coming. And my footsteps get heavier and faster, and I'm a large man. I don't stop on a dime. I get there. My hand reaches in, grabs the gray collar out from underneath Ethan as I'm sort of tackling him. And I roll to my back and land on John, breaking the table, and John misses a picket from one of the, the fence pieces by, like, this much. Oh, gosh. Somebody could have seriously gotten hurt. I got up, and I'm like, is everyone okay? I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to knock everybody over, but somebody yelled this out. We all get gathered up and one of the ADs comes out and goes, guys, this is television. You do a television run. You didn't need to knock the table over. Now they got to rebuild the table and we got to reshoot this and we did reshoot it without the table break. You know, this, this could have been really dangerous and all the meantime, there's like six PAs going through and drilling and screwing stuff back together and i remember justin and austin and steve and i'm kind of back just shy in the corner all yelling we told you this would happen <laughs> and then we get yelled at we go line up and do the run again and everyone knows what they want we grab it and we all run back to our tables and everything's hunky dory and what's the shot that they use on tv the one where i get yelled at after breaking stuff
0: Well, it was definitely compelling television. um, But this one was a really fun build of yours, um, you know, uh, blaze the Dalmatian. And, you know, you, you know, you put him in the crawling position kind of strategically because of how, you know, the Dalmatian is proportioned. But obviously, you know, the Dalmatian was doing that crawling. And I couldn't believe Crash how you had him like trained on set. Enough to to do that. That was pretty impressive. Uh,
2: <coughs> we were very lucky with this one. Um, when we were we, trying to take reference photos, because we were being told that we had to have a proper reference of the dog, not a an artistic impression of the dog. And of course, the Dalmatian has spots, and spots are really important to landmark. And he was tall and lean. And if you look at him closely, some spots were black, some were dark brown, some were chocolate brown. So we were we were trying to take as many reference photos as we could and uh, crash. I was taking the photos. Crash was was trying to get him to sit still, but he was a very hyper dog. And eventually, <laughs> he put a treat down on the ground, and Blaze laid down on the ground. I'm like, oh, that's perfect. That's a great, great photo. And as he's laying there, Crash moved his hand, and then the dog started to, to crawl. I'm like, whoa, 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 is that that's, doable? Can we do that's this? That's not time? exactly
1: how that happened.
2: But no, but that's but it's it's how it evolved into the fact that we were able to pick up on the fact that dog had a trained trait to crawl, yeah. and we since found out afterwards. Um, we've we've talked to Blaze's owner since the show was wrapped, and he's a firefighter who has trained his dog to do fire safety courses for kids, and one of them is crawling under smoke. So we wow. we're very lucky. <laughs>
1: And stop, up little. and roll. Like the dog knew a lot of tricks, but he was very treat motivated, yes. uh, which made which made him the smelliest dog on set. Yeah, <laughs> there was one point, Steve and I. were Luckily, we were in the back of the one side, and just was that you? No, no man.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. dog, so we had to walk the dogs over to see uh, Austin and Justin a few times, just to just to make sure that they got a
0: little <laughs> little experience about it
2: little atmospheric quality control.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, this is a very successful challenge for you both. This, you know, was a, a unique top three, but I think that's more, uh, due to the dog show format. There being typically a top three, but, um, you made the top three in this one. So, I mean, very exciting. Um, you know, an, another, you know, podium performance for the two of you.
2: We were extremely happy with how the model turned out and the fact that blaze could replicate the movement. Um, I I don't like to play the what if game, but wow, Brennan and Greg's build on this was absolutely <laughs> spectacular. We were we were at the table next to them, and like every twenty minutes to an hour, I'd look over and just be like wow. It was so impressively good that none of us stood a chance against it. No, that was theirs it was to so lose. So well done. Yeah. Their dog was yeah. extremely cooperative and very character character filled. And of course, Greg has a ton of sculpting capabilities and they they absolutely deserve that one. It was such an amazing build.
0: Yes, absolutely. Yeah. We freaked out over over Mikey uh in that yeah. build, but we move then on to the Pirate Ship's Ahoy Challenge with your SS Ribeter. And I definitely have a lot of questions about this one because I definitely feel like there's was, there was a bunch we didn't get to see here. Um, you know, particularly I kept thinking, uh, you know, we're back to frogs again, but it's a story about a curse. So like What, 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 what's the story about the frogs? It was, there's a lot of Mardi Gras colors. Was there like a Mardi Gras story we missed? Like, I feel like there was some, there's some history (laughs) that I don't know, but I was that when I was going back through my notes, I'm like, I'm going to get these questions answered for us. So tell us about that.
1: Let's, let's start right from the beginning. (laughs) Steve loves pirate chips. If you look behind you, if you can see this, I don't know if this is going on YouTube or something, but uh, (laughs) behind Steve in his studio, he has every single pirate ship that's ever been released by Lego. And uh, so this is his wheelhouse. Um, We uh, we started coming up with a little bit of a story about a curse and whatnot, and we wanted to tie it to kind of some stuff that we've already done like Austin and Justin were doing something where they tied in Billy, the squid made sense. So we're like, well, if they're doing Billy, the squid, we got to do Burton, the bullfrog. And uh, (laughs) again, it boils down to that little friendly rivalry we had being really close with those guys. Um, And so we, we built this whole frog theme and like, how do we incorporate green? Well, new Orleans is in the Caribbean and it was a major port of call. That's where pirates were. Like, I remember being in Pirate's Alley in New Orleans, drinking absinthe with a friend of mine. It was one of the coolest things I've ever done.
2: And voodoo um, culture and French culture. And that that tied into yeah. a lot of what we were, we were already doing. So it was perfect.
1: Every, everyone forgets that that's one of the major ports of call in the Caribbean during the privateer time. So made it part of our, our story, which really worked in our favor with color schemes. Um, added the curse of grabbing a relic and uh, making it, slime out everywhere. So we used a lot of translucent (laughs) dark green. Uh, Unfortunately, a lot of our light bricks that we used didn't get shown on camera, but we had a ton of light bricks that could be activated when it was time to do the display and whatnot. Um, We had a whole story going about how it cursed everybody. That's why they had all skeleton heads. Um, It was, I thought it was really fun and playful. And we, and Steve had some good ideas on how to build the masts and how to build the the, the sails so they looked like they were billowing and trusted me with doing that. He took care of the body. And one of the cool parts about this is because we had certain size limits that we had to build this with, and I'll let Steve go into to the technical side of this, um, but we Steve built a template on some, uh, some plate and said, okay, this is the minimum. It has to be in the red. This is the maximum. It has to be in blue or the other way around. And he was sizing everything up and that's what we built our ship around. And then we started looking around the room and being like, Oh, those guys are way too big. And we'd go over to like the doctors, Hey, you might want to check your sizes here or Liz and Aaron, Hey, you gotta, you gotta double check how big your boat is. And we had like four or five teams come over and use Steve's jig to figure out what the <laughs> size requirements for this build were. Cause everyone was getting too big to fit on the stands that were in the water to display everything. And, uh, and that just goes to show once more, how collaborative this season was with everybody. It wasn't cutthroat. Yeah, everyone wanted to win, but everyone wanted to win together. We didn't wanna see someone fail because of something that couldn't be um, assisted with. So it was just one of those moments that I think really stood out for everybody on the show, uh, being a a collaborative team effort more than I think any other season would have.
2: So Michael, as a watcher of the show, you, you instantly picked up on the fact there's probably some other stories, there's some other parameters there. Uh, Viewers, unfortunately, you don't get to see all the little things that we're privy to when it comes to um, the rules of of every single challenge. In this particular challenge, so I'm a fan of pirate ships. When they read out the minimum and maximum parameters of height, width, and length, I'm like, that doesn't really make sense to me because I already had an idea in my head of proportionally what I was going to do. And the other confusing factor is the rules were read in both inches and studs, but they didn't say the inches and studs of each measurement. They would say you could be 20 inches long, but only 32 studs wide. So they, they crossed over some of the, the weird measurements uh, luckily as a large scale mock builder, I've just come used to the fact that a 32 by 32 base plates, 10 inches and a 48, yeah. by 40, 15 inches. So I instantly was able to kind of pop the math in my head because once you're, you're informed of the challenge rules, that's the last time you hear them effectively. So I went right out to our table and as crash mentioned, I built this jig, this template, um, where I had red bricks at the maximum parameters, blue bricks at the minimum parameters. And then I'm like, this is weird. And it didn't make sense because if you went the longest you could, but the narrowest you could, it was still pretty stubby kind of con- <laughs> ship. It wasn't really totally pirate ship in my mind. So I called over the challenge team and they they have a hard time of being able to give you information. But I was just, I pointed at what I said. I'm like, do I have these visionally correct? And they said, yes. So we looked around the room and other people were going super long and narrow. I'm like, that's ah, not quite there. <laughs> so we went and had some conversations with teams and said, you're welcome to bring it over to our table, but there is a very specific way of, of building it. And it had to do with how they were supported in the water, sure. um, how they were positioned all in angles. They had to have them all within certain parameters. So um, it definitely lends well to playing in the sandbox with everyone together because there's no there's no victory in in somebody else's shortcomings. You need to have a victory off of your own laurels and merits. So we, we were happy to share that information, but man do i love pirate ships we we packed so many details into this one uh, <laughs> the the translucent green pieces didn't translate that well onto tv because we mounted light bricks behind them so that they glowed so you had this pure concept of primordial slime oozing bad mojo voodoo magic and we had a an idol in the middle that was done in very voodoo-esque themes and being mardi gras we kind of laid into that whole french cuisine french culture um, which is it was the SS Ribator, but it was captained by Grenouille. The captain's name is the French term for frog. And we we played we we actually have a, a lot of fun throughout the season playing homage to other previous builds. And there there tends to always be a Dalmatian or a firefighter in there somewhere. <laughs> just the way that we did it. Um, but and this one, had, yeah, we over. had
1: slime exploding out of a cargo hold and debris all over the the deck. We had guys walking the plank. We had the old, uh, the old drunk pirate up in the crow's nest with the Dalmatian with a few empty bottles around him and a fire had, helmet. Yeah, oh, like man. it was. We had, yeah. we had two. Actually doing the uh, the Kate Winslet Leonardo DiCaprio moment on Titanic. Yeah. <laughs> Never let go, Jack. Never let go. We had two pirates out in the front doing that on the front mast. Like it, we had a ton of stuff. We we had our uh, our hidden imagery that's been in every build since episode three. Um, yeah. So if you're if you're playing along at home, there's there's some hidden uh hidden content. Hidden, hidden content that the doctors and us did just to play a game with each other and see if we could spot it when it made it onto television and yeah, there was there was and, tons of story like little vignettes going on that none of it made it to
2: television just because of the limited time that you get to see it. And Brickmaster Amy being a color theory specialist, mm-hmm. she would always press us to have more color, more color and uh Crash being quite familiar with New Orleans culture, knew the color of mardi gras being purple green and yellow and that was perfect it created nice accent lines um and it was something we actually came came to add later which had me taking apart parts of the hall to retrofit flex <laughs> purple green and yellow in there so that there was consistently see throughout our build um oh we we packed this with details the the entire captain's quarters was detailed out uh, the cannon, uh, the recessed cannon area. Oh, we had so much fun. I love the pirate thing. This was <laughs> this was totally uh, one that I love doing. And then yeah. it exploded. And then it exploded. Yeah, I was
0: going to say. <laughs> yeah, after, after pouring all your love in, into it, they just blow it up, uh, which well, must have been pretty funny in the moment.
2: It, um, it was, especially because <laughs> on the heels of the miss misfire for our pyro in jurassic world we we were not expecting anything overly fantastic this time and i (laughs) I, i will point out to your viewers that the the shot that you see on tv is probably about one tenth speed because we were standing there they did the countdown and our entire ship vaporized before our eyes. Yeah. With pieces <laughs> all over the room. It was gone, just
1: gone. And ours was the first to go, and it legit freaked us out because <laughs> we weren't expecting that loud a noise. I don't think anybody was, not even Will, because you can see him jump back just a little bit. It was pretty funny.
0: <laughs> it was pretty wild. Ugh, sounds like it. Well, we move on then to episode seven Camp Clickabrick. <laughs> and, you know, Crash, you alluded to it, your superhero initi- initiate trainer. Camp, Um, but superheroes, one word I'll remind everyone again. Um, And uh, uh, this was a really fun one. Obviously, it was your um, chance to, your first chance, I should say, to dabble into the comic book fair and superheroes. Um, And, you know, in this one, you were looking, you know, it was a motion themed challenge. You were looking to get some redemption after the dino challenge that we were talking about earlier. So, you know, talk us through this build. Obviously, there's so many different sections and the like. So, you know, talk us through this one.
2: So we needed redemption from the uh, Jurassic World challenge. And the, the thing that failed us in Jurassic World is how we located motors, battery packs for accessibility. So we started off with simplifying the entire build to run off of a single battery unit so that we weren't having multiple sources to hide the batteries. We hid the batteries in a very accessible location at the back of the building so that there was no question we could swap batteries out if we needed to. So that was super, super important. Then everything else was related to gears and axles and transmitting power from the single source. So it was very easy to troubleshoot. One of the things that I over-engineered for the Jurassic World was an entire network of gears underground that created rotations of dinosaurs as the truck would drive by. It was extremely neat when it worked, it worked so good, but when you drop one brick in the middle of it, it stops everything from moving. So simplified that um, to be able to incorporate rotations from above and at a different location and then the flashing components with the um, the fire and ice and, and whatnot stationed down at the ground. It was all about creating the wow factor of movement with the simplicity that it's not going to bog down with problems. And if there were problems, it was easy to troubleshoot. So that became kind of the paramount function of what we needed to achieve with this one. Yeah, uh, the, the superhero genre is absolutely my buddy favorite uh he <laughs> he was right off the hop running and and achieving okay this is where we're going to do this this is this is going to be here this is going to be here this is going to be here this is gonna be here we identified all those core superpowers that were super important for us to capture and then we reverse engineered on how we could place them into the design there um,
1: um yeah it may have been my idea to do the superheroes and steve loves that stuff too so it's not like it was like oh we are gonna
2: do superheroes <laughs> no twisting of <laughs> my arm
1: yeah, uh, but Steve had a lot of great ideas for incorporating different types of powers like the the speed people he's like I got a cool idea for this and he. He engineered those like bricks that were built behind the speed runners playing tag so it looked like there was faster movement and then. Um, I incorporated the different energy projections, that was my first task and we made that captain to bunkhouse. Like you practice shooting at the guy who runs the place. And (laughs) of course, Will was super happy that he was running a, uh, was running sit camp uh, as you, as was evidenced by the broken (laughs) ukulele on the show. Um, Other things that we put in there, like the the strong people in the quarry lifting rocks and cars and whatnot. Um, We got dinged a little bit that I didn't make our, Brick built figure which I had spent way too long trying to figure that out i'd never built a brick built figure before, so I was going to Ethan and Don because I knew they could do it. Uh, I went to Austin and justin because I saw them do it for the treehouse challenge I'm like how do I do this like what am I looking for. Um, And they gave me some good tips, but I love that the one little clip that they have of me when everyone's frantically running around with one hour left is everybody going oh no what am I going to do oh we're so behind oh what's this and then there's me leaning over the table, how do I build a butt? Like that's not even, that's not even something they had me say. I legit did not know how to build a butt for my big figure. Um, they, uh, they animated our build for, uh, for television, which was really cool. Don't get me wrong. That was awesome. But they missed out on the invisible people we put in there. So that's, that's a bit of a shortcoming with the animation
2: the Invisible uh, man's a very important superhero. Yeah. We had
1: Dalmatians being taught how to rescue cats from trees in one back corner because, you know, you have to. We had guys flying and some of them crashing into stuff while they were flying. It was really cool that way. Um, But when they animated it, they gave us kind of a script based on what we did on the show of what we said. What we said during judging on the show in the moment was a lot more fun and vibrant than the script that they had us read for the animation, I felt. We had little quips and stuff that were goofy and, you know, Jamie and Amy were laughing at them and stuff like that. One of my favorites was, and over here, you can see smash the giant strongman demonstrating proper lifting technique, you know, using your back in a twisting jerking motion and stuff like that. (laughs) Just uh, just little throwaways that I felt really brought some more whimsy to it, but get lost because the animation requires a certain length of pattern that goes with it. So it, that's another aspect of the show with editing is the details. Even in our stories, you don't get to hear as much just because of the way things have to be put together in a certain time frame.
0: Yeah, I can imagine that that's uh, like a, an interesting nuance to the show. Um, but this one turned out really nice, you know. I think it was a very fun build. You got a lot of great kudos um, from the judges, and, and and it's one of two times I'd say that you sort of like, or a few times that you sort of supersede a, a, a subsequent challenge. You know, there's you know because there's a superhero <laughs> challenge coming. You do superheroes here, and in the next challenge, the mini golf masters challenge, you do a castle only for the, there to be a castle challenge uh, upcoming. So why don't we move that on to the mini golf masters challenge? Yours was called classic castle. And like you mentioned, Stephen, you know, the Yellow Castle was super inspirational to you getting into the hobby. And it was a great way to sort of leverage for this build. So talk us through the mini golf masters challenge.
1: There was no way we weren't building this yellow castle. As soon as they said, (laughs) mini golf, Steve turned to me and he's like, we're doing the yellow castle. And I'm like, okay, we just did mine. We'll do
2: yours. Perfect. (laughs) As they were talking to us, as we're standing on the risers, I just leaned in and like, let me do this one, please. So. It, uh, I, this was my all time favorite episode of all of them. Um, I, I personally felt like this was a massive extension of my personality. So it was so much fun and we had so much space to do something big. So when we, we first started to lay it out on the ground, like that, that putting green is large it's four feet wide uh, by six feet and then by six feet on a 90 degree angle so like it's a lot of space to try to do things and you needed movements so we we said about thinking about well what kind of movements can we have um crash came up with the idea of a a central or a middle placed outpost which had a motion sensor on it because by this point of the game he's becoming quite a bit more comfortable with the the powered up functions well he's shaking his head right now but the two of us went in with very minimal experience (laughs) Powered Up. I'm very familiar with Power Functions and some of the previous versions of of power features for the Lego Corporation, but uh, Powered Up was a little bit unique to me. There was one of the members of the, prior to to coming out to to film Lego Masters, I went in one day to my local Lego store and said, i I'm trying to learn more about powered up and one of their employees actually sat with me for a little bit and gave me a rundown but there, there's a lot to know about coding and understanding but crash started to wrap his head around that so let him run with that because that that was now a forte of his so we figured out our two movements i started laying out approximate dimensions of how big we wanted the castle and then we started putting brick down and then we realized what's well, very flat it's very stagnant to look at from a distance so then we incorporated the macro brick technique where we started framing clusters of bricks with a black outline uh plate and brick and it made it look like jumbo lego bricks like duplo or quattro and as soon as we we found that and we where we tried a line of that we stepped back like oh yes, 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 yes. <laughs> and then it was about banging out many 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 many, many pieces like so many pieces um, I remember telling my wife after the fact, like I have literally never built this fast in my entire life. It was just bang, bang, bang and crash I was like, what do you need? What do you need? More yellow, more yellow, bro, more yellow, bringing more yellow. And we were, <laughs> we were putting these, like we did the, the big yellow castle and then we did a big purple outpost and then we did another white outpost. And then we did the T box markers and, um, the wall, I'm such, the wall. It, it, there was so many parts and pieces to this. But it looked, it it needed to look simple and clean, but it wasn't anything but simple. It was a very, very complex version of parts and pieces coming together and have the portcullis time to go up and down. And uh, we little, threw a little symbol on the the drawbridge uh, that was a reference to Scottish culture, which was a little throw out to Brickmaster Amy. Um, whenever possible, we used to love these little, little things that we could put in there as a little uh, homage to somebody else. One of the things that never made it to TV, and it might be the part of this build that I'm most proud of, if you're familiar with the original Yellow Castle, it was prior to having one piece molded horses. So you actually had to use a series of bricks and plates and slopes and inverted slopes to create brick built horses. So being that we were working on a macro scale, I engineered um, approximately eight times bigger macro brick built horses, and they flanked either side of our t box and it's a it's an almost throwaway detail nobody picked up on it (laughs) but after all the filming was done I looked over and saw Brickmaster Jamie down with his own camera taking pictures of him. So again, that's one of those little moments where I'm like, good boy, good boy. I did a good job. (laughs) I loved this challenge. I loved this challenge.
1: We did have a few issues like um, with the the Powered Up stuff that we were using to time the drawbridge. There's two ways that you can code timing in Powered Up. that you can do numbers or you can do a dial. So when I showed Steve how to do it, because he was fiddling around with it to get the castle finished and he couldn't finish it until he had it all encased and timed properly. He did a dial and he thought he had it synced up, but one was at 48 and one was at 50. So it would get jammed up after like a half hour of running, which is, of course, how long they're going to run it before they do judging because they have to get beauty shots of it moving up and down. So I'm like, well, how come he didn't put the numbers the same and he's like numbers? Oh yeah, I've got to do that. Gotta, gotta time that up properly. Yeah.
2: I just had a little visual gear wheel that I was using my finger on, but it's it. Yeah. we uh we got told we had to um we
1: had to change out our battery packs for the power function powered up, sorry, not power functions, powered up, um, which traditionally on the show does not go well because they don't sync up well with the programming you've done. So we requested to just put new batteries into our old power packs and that seemed to solve any issue we had with uh things not working because some teams didn't have their motions working because they switched out the pack instead of just switching out the batteries. Um, but in doing so, when we did that, I had to move some of our pieces around with the the Purple Tower, especially on the, the, the movement of that flag we had popping up for surrender, and that caused an angle change in our wall. So what they don't show on TV is when Will originally hit that ball, it rode the wall, and he actually four-putted into our our uh our hole instead of two putt whereas i had been hitting holes in one fairly consistently during practice i took like four or five shots and i think i had to two putt once on it but changing those angles meant that it hit at a different point which meant it rode a wall instead of going straight in and it cost us a hole in one which may have put us over the top uh into the top two anyway um i felt i think that was I I was a little resentful of that happening anyway (laughs) Um, but yeah I I think overall it was one of our better builds it had a lot of detail where it needed detail which was at the castle point Um, it had a lot of fun movement it had a lot of fun play and it was simple like it wasn't it was challenging enough that if you messed up you had to go around the castle and in behind so you could do the four putt or the three putt but as far as a mini golf hole goes it was one of those like iconic you can do this in two we'll put it as a par three you're gonna have fun doing this, it's not going to overcomplicate things and you're going to move on and have a good day. And yeah. I think in the end, that's what every mini golf hole is supposed to be, is have a little fun and feel good about yourself.
0: Yeah, totally agree. This was definitely a fun one. Loved, the, like you were saying, the giant bricks with this one. And you and listen, I think we'll end up having some fun playing this one. Your functions all work. So that that's what we love to see on the show. And then when we move on to the actual castle challenge, um, which was the wrecking balls to the wall challenge. With your Troy's Troll Bridge, with the troll minifigure that you had there, and obviously the big theme here was you were making some big promises. And the hard part about this show sometimes is if you write checks that you can't cash, uh, you often get you know in trouble, quote unquote, from the judges. Um, but your goal was to essentially break the brick build wrecking ball uh, by making a castle so strong, and and you really did. So talk us
2: through this. <laughs> Well, it's uh, oh the starting point of this one. I have no idea why it became so important to us both to break that ball. But uh, I, th- I think kind of the precursor to this is I happen to know Dave and Emily quite well. I know Dave to be one of the fastest builders I've ever met. Um, I felt like keeping up to him for a height challenge was going to be perhaps wasted or misdirected energy. Um, Brick and Nick, of course, an, another icon within the the Lego building uh, industry. So I felt like our best bet to make a splash was to go in a very different direction. And you can see through some previous challenges when a team perhaps deviated from what was expected, they were rewarded from the fact that they went a, a little bit different. So we uh, we honed in on that. They, they said tall and strong. Well, it's pretty sure tall wasn't going to be the way we were going to win this. So I, <laughs> I felt like strong was going to be the direction we needed to go. So Crash and I kind of decided, oh, is this the hill we're going to die on? Do we go out on a swing? I'm like, yep. Yep, we're going to do it. And it's not as easily seen on TV, but we did large concentric rings of layered plate, overlapping plate. Um, I believe that final count, it was 45 layers of layered plate. Looking back at it now, because at the time we were starting to get better with our time management and how we allocated uh, time to do certain portions of the challenge. We realized that the first four to four and a half hours max could be put towards the base and then the rest of the challenge had to be about creating the castle because the base wasn't the story, the castle was. So at the four and a half hour mark, we we had finished with the, the, uh, the, the layered plates and then we started skinning it to make it look like a big dirt mound. Looking back at it... <sighs> I think if we had put approximately 15 more layers on, I, I will go on record as saying the ball would not have touched our castle. It would have hit the base and it would have bounced. I, I'm i quite, quite firm with that belief. You know
1: what though, Steve? I think it would have bounced anyway had they released the ball the same they did for everybody else.
2: Yeah. Well, we can talk about that one in a little bit too. But uh, I, again, we went down a weird road and the creation team came over quite a few times to look at what we were doing to try to figure out the potential mayhem, uh, which is why we were the last swing in the room. Yeah. <laughs> <They're> <laughs> right here. I would literally
1: stand and jump on our plates to make yeah. sure they were sealed together. I mean, you put my weight concentrated into like four square inches of just the balls of my feet on my toes and just pounding away at those plates. They weren't moving. so we we put a lot of effort into that,
0: yeah,
2: and good luck taking them apart for the challenge team. <laughs> Ooh, no no no, I don't think they did. i I'm quite sure that was not not repurposed into the brick pits. Uh, so the we got the troll, which is a fantastic figure what you uh, i think people that are are big into minifigures have gotten used to with the collectible minis you can identify certain features of figures when you when you feel them on the bag and i reached into the the hat to pick the minifigures and i could tell okay that's that's a that's a, a maiden that's a jester i could tell some of the features of the figures and then i popped <laughs> into the bigger figure i'm like oh yes oh yes so you, you didn't really see it, but I had this like incredible grin on my face and uh, Brickmaster Amy's like, oh, you look like you're very pleased. I'm like, oh, yes, I am.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes, so I, I, I'm an expert at that at, at any Lego store. I'm often helping people out. Uh, You know, because I'm very, very, uh, you know, dexterous at that. So, yeah, (laughs) it
2: it was it was awesome. I knew what we had. I didn't even have to look at it. I just kept it in my hands. I knew exactly the figure we were going to get. But of course, trolls are not known to live in flashy, beautiful, colorful castles. So we we decided that, you know, a troll lives under a bridge. So let's formulate his castle as a reconstituted portion of an older castle that's long dilapidated. And if you take a look at some of the details, even though we stuck with a gray castle-esque appearance, we put little flecks that were uh, one by two and one by one yellow plate in the build so that if you looked really close, you could tell the castle used to be yellow at one point. It was just (laughs) flaked away paint and the drawbridge was all crumbled and decrepit and that drawbridge is red. So again, it was a throw out to one of my favorite old sets, the yellow castle with the red drawbridge, but in a more modern take of it. And then Crash came up with this incredible storyline that goes with it. Yep. And
1: none of it made it to TV. None. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so I, I think that might have cost us a top two finish. To be honest, uh, I feel that way. I don't know if everyone else does, but my story was very inside baseball for the cast that was on set that day. Everything I did, like I named the the troll Troy after Stacey Roy. I named. The, the maiden, which you never get to hear the name of, instead of Nick Delamora, is Brick Bella Flora. Um, I had this whole story with little things that we'd been doing offset, backstage, at the hotel. Uh, all our little goofball stuff that we'd been doing was incorporated into this story. And at one point, I remember telling little pieces of this, and Stacy snort laughed and had to hide behind Nick. <laughs> she was laughing so hard and Emily was doubled over a little bit. And uh, I think Greg and Brendan were the only ones that weren't having a good time with it, to be honest. <laughs> uh, but we like I made it as goofy and as silly for the people that were there because we're we're in ep- episode 10 at this point. Ten, nine.
0: Uh, yeah, nine. this is uh, episode uh, nine
1: nine so we're like we're a long time into this and everyone's getting kind of drained and I just wanted to pick everyone up a little bit more than I had been normally on the show um because you know I, I we can talk about the hype up that I did I don't know if anyone else has ever brought that up but I would I wanted to make it something unique to that day and just you know judging be damned and I, I know this kind of throws Steve under the bus a little bit with it but I was like ah, you know what, I just want to have some fun with this. And yeah, that was, uh, that was a lot of fun just telling yeah. all those little stories that only mattered to the 10 people in that room that were still competing, <laughs> not named Steve and Steve.
0: <laughs> well, it was a very, very fun build. Uh, and and to your point, so many great details that, that I know, we I could have lingered on a lot much longer time on the show. <laughs> but it was, but it, obviously, we we get to go on to the next challenge, which is probably the one that you didn't know you were waiting for, but you but you know, in your heart, uh your subconscious probably knew, which was the Marvel Masters Challenge. Oh, and yeah. this one was an, another fun one, um, obviously for you, Crash, being the big Marvel fan. And, you know, one thing we did get to see was uh that you were you know, are a cosplayer that you had cosplayed as Thanos. So talk to us a little bit about what what we what we need to know about that.
1: <laughs> uh, first and foremost, walking into the room through the white doors. Again, we're at the back of the pack. We walk in through those big white doors after they open, and I'm at the back, like the back, and I see the Marvel sign above Will before it gets illuminated. And it's not on TV because they haven't done the big reveal for television, but I stop and just scream at the top of my lungs, yes! I am bent over, just <laughs> overjoyed. Like, this is awesome. We're doing Marvel. And then they get us up on the risers, and I'm still, yeah, yeah, this is awesome. Yes. Uh, It was, it was, uh, it was a really cool surprise to see that be one of the challenges. Um, They throw out a couple, like the one picture of me as Thanos doing cosplay, but I've done Cable, I've done Hellboy, I've done Beast, I've done all of these Marvel and other comic superheroes and villains apocalypse that I love uh, throughout the years going to my local comic expo. And so just to see that I get a chance to represent that in Lego and not it be a set that I bought at the Lego store or Toys R Us or whatever <laughs> made it so much better. Um, we, we were lucky that we got Doctor Strange and the scene that we got. So at the time of filming, the, the movie hadn't even come out yet. All we had was the trailer and some images that they gave us of that scene to work with. And that was it. You need to replicate this scene for a movie you've never seen based on this movie trailer. (laughs) Have fun. Okay. Uh, It worked out great for a few reasons. Dr. Strange's first name is Steven, spelled the same way as Steve and I. So that was a nice (laughs) little twist that we got. So it was the three Stevens working together. Um, There was a lot of city aspect, uh, like the modular builds would be in the background. And Steve and I are both huge fans of the modular buildings, as Steve has alluded to already with Jurassic World. Um, So we got to stay in our wheelhouse um, there there was monster building on it. We expanded off of the, the actual picture of the scene. Uh, we got to do a lot of really cool stuff uh, with different technical sides of things, not in terms of building, but in terms of um, theater production. I took tech theater in high school because uh, despite my outward demeanor, I'm not an actor. I can't remember lines or anything like that. So <laughs> I did the behind the scenes stuff. Um, so we took some advice that Amy and Jamie gave us. We had a lot of negative space that was wide open, but down the intersection of our street, and they're like, "Well, you kind of have to fill that. You want don't want to lose the illusion that you're on a street." And I'm like, "Okay, cool." So I built a plate with buildings doing a perspective. I wish I'd done it a little bit differently. I hadn't even seen it on the show. The angles were a little off, but I thought it was probably the best way we could have done that to, to kind of represent that this street goes on further and you don't see behind it into, uh, into nothingness. A um, lot of cool figure placements. Steve spent a lot of time building cars, I spent four hours building that bus that was in the air. He had a great concept for how to light it up and make the sparks look really neat. Uh, yeah, it was it was really collaborative and played really well into what we're good at.
0: Yeah, I mean, it sort of felt like like this was um, you know to your point, you you both in your element. You know, like there like there was obviously challenges that you worked through, but it was more. Uh, like uh, you're improvising jazz at this point, you know you're having like a lot of extra fun on top. <laughs>
2: yeah, our our goal right from episode one was to have fun, and this one was absolutely within the scope of fun for us. So we we tapped into what we were comfortable with, what we felt we were good at, and we we provided a a product that was really 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 good, and we we were so pleased with it. Now that said, I I don't know you have had a chance to talk to Brendan and Greg, the brothers. That Thor build was <laughs> unbelievable. Like they, their build didn't translate overly well onto TV. I don't think. Like there was, a, it, it still looked good on TV. But I assure you, people, if you were standing there to look at it in person, they were extremely good. But of course, due to the nature of the challenge of and having the the golden brick, they had to play the golden brick that that particular day. So. Who, who's to say we would have been on top if it was all equal playing field, but we were really happy with what we did. And that, that was the, the thing that was important to us. Just be proud of the product.
0: Well, you, you have a lot to be proud of with this one. Obviously Thanks. it was a win your second win. Um, But I, I definitely would be remiss though, if we didn't talk about one other moment from that episode, um, <laughs> you know, Steven, which was your infamous firefighter calendar <laughs> photo, the frosted tips, the crossed yep. arms, you know, I mean, <laughs> Uh, that did you did you have any idea that you know that was going to be on the show before they brought it up to you on set? You're welcome, by the way.
1: Uh,
2: <laughs> yeah. So, oh man, there's a there's a big background here. First, first and foremost, I need to tell your viewing audience that photo is older than Drew, Miranda, Dom, Ethan, and Liam. That photo was taken <laughs> before they were alive. <laughs> so, that puts it into context for the frosted tips in particular <laughs> um, as a as a rookie on the fire service 20 years ago uh there's an expectation that you you do a charity event here and there i got convinced to take my shirt off to do that one <laughs> and i was i was in the calendar that year um it's popped up many different times throughout my life in the last 20 years <laughs> this was not the place i expected it Um, the, there was some concept. I think it was a conversation we had with Liz and Aaron one night, they made some reference to Steve and I being calendar boys. And I said, oh, I did that as a very young man, at which point was a challenge for my partner crash to find a copy of it.
1: It wasn't a challenge at all. It was one phone call
2: (laughs) So Uh, within the day that photo was going around to cast members and then a certain unnamed cast member, David (coughs) passed it on to production. At which point production talked to my wife and made sure it was okay. And then they got the rights for that photo.
0: <laughs> uh, well, I'm glad they did. Because uh, listen, I think one of the best parts about reality TV is getting to know you, you know, really getting to know you. And, and now I feel like I know you so much better uh, now that I've seen that photo.
2: <laughs> no frosted tips though. No
0: frosted tips. Yeah. Just gray hair now. <laughs> <laughs> Different kind maybe, of frost. Yeah. yeah. Maybe, um, maybe for a Halloween one year, you'll have to cosplay as your younger
2: self. <laughs> there you go. I'll have to hit the gym a little bit too. Just just tarps <laughs> off and
1: frosted tips going trick or treating, hey eh, Steve?
2: Yeah, there you go. In in. <laughs> End of October in Calgary, it's usually a foot and a half of snow outside.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay. Maybe not for Halloween then, but, maybe not. um, but yeah, so it was your second win. So now we move on to episode 11 and this is the start your engines episode. Yours was the red rocket and you were on team red, which was the for the NASCAR theme challenge. And this is in this one, obviously it was very different. You're getting to work with another team. You're working with Dave and Emily, Talk, you know, us through what it was like having this very different experience on the show than the previous 10 episodes.
1: This was the most fun I think we had on the show. We they didn't come out right and say it at the challenge start because they can't. But we kind of knew doing the math of how many episodes were left and how the format of this episode was going that no one was going home. Um, no one outright said it, like I said, but that feeling was in the room and that was just so play. different play, we got to have fun with our buddies and there's so much um that doesn't make it to tv that shows how much fun we're having like they show the parts where we're building together and ideas are happening and clashing but um you know we were goofing around the whole time we had a point where will stopped the clock and had us come out and do trust balls and stuff like that i did the dirty (laughs) dancing nobody puts baby in a corner lift to emily at one point um we were just having fun i mean that other team had their the, the blue team had their little chant that they put together and yelled at us. And we're like, yeah, whatever. We're old men. We're just going to build and show you <laughs> up. It'll be great. Uh, <laughs> the car was at a size where we had restrictions on how big you could be to ride in the car so we had no choice on our driver really it had to be Emily because there's no way the three of us brutes were going to fit in that Um, (laughs) so we it allowed us a moment where we could be like okay well we can build around Emily we can literally have her in the car and custom fit this to her and with the concepts that we want to do and uh, there was a lot of really good teamwork back and forth it helps that Steve knew Dave and Emily from a previous or from previous encounters at Canadian Lego conventions so we already had a great dynamic, and we'd been there long enough that we built our own rapport with each other for the show. Um, lots of goofy stuff going on with it. There was It was so, so much fun. I pulled out all of my days of thunder quotes that I could remember from that old Tom Cruise movie. <laughs> I'm being like Robert Duvall going up to Emily and none of this makes it to TV, right? But if you ain't rubbing, you ain't racing, make sure you make contact. You got to get people out of your way. This is your track. Go, come in high, come out low with a late apex turn. And she's just looking at me like, what are you even <laughs> saying? I'm like, oh yeah, uh, sorry. I got a little carried away there. But yeah, we, we had a great, great time putting this together with uh, with Dave and Emily.
2: Yes. I mean, and it felt that way. Yeah, the vibe was entirely different, right, from production people down to the cast members. It was. Uh, I mean, there there was a lot of circumstantial stresses leading up to it. Now we're watching some of our our longstanding friends being eliminated, and people we were super close with are no longer with us. So there was this overall sense of feeling of uh, of of stress and a little bit of doom and gloom. It, I I shouldn't phrase it like that necessarily, but we walked onto set with this challenge, NASCAR they they don't they barely even show it they drove a nascar on set it was <laughs> awesome and they did donuts in the parking lot afterwards which was equally amazing so Like the energy of the day was so different and we all kind of settled into this groove and it just became building with friends. It didn't feel like there was a competition to this. Uh, um, I loved what the blue team did. Like it looked like that classic soapbox racer of of our youth, right? And um, they had an incredible storyline and we went in in a different direction and threw homages to some of our builds, some of the doctor's builds, some of Dave and Emily's builds. And we put our names on the cars like they were advertising logos and things of that. Nature. It, it was just so so much fun, and uh we got bested in the pits. And I will take ownership of that. I consider myself <laughs> to be a fast builder, but Greg did something I have never seen a human being do before. Apparently, the man has a near photographic memory, so he was able to commit to memory the the part swapping, which incredible. Like uh when you take a look at the combined sizes of Dave and Crash and myself, we're about nine hundred pounds sitting around that cart. There was no room for three of us to work. Uh, So it was, it was a two person operation for us and we were just having fun with it. Like you could see crash was fanning Emily and giving her the water bottle. Like (laughs) it was true to form to what you would maybe see at the every, every day out average NASCAR event on a weekend. So um, we got bested in the pits, but that was totally fine by us because we thought it was a great finish and a great race. And the car started falling apart. Um, (laughs) Like there. There's all kinds of weird parameters to the, the racetrack, but it it is what it is. There's no regrets. I I thought it was awesome, and I think maybe the best part of this entire episode. And I'm, maybe we're oversharing. I'm not 100% sure. But when the camera stopped rolling, Jeff Gordon got in our car, and then Will got into another go kart, and then they started racing, and then they started going off roading and smashing into each other, and they completely <laughs> obliterated our build. It was absolutely wicked. I was laughing hysterically. It was so much fun. Yeah, oh. we, uh,
1: we actually got to spend like an hour with Jeff Gordon on set just talking. It was amazing. They were shutting yeah. lights down and there's Will and Jeff and the the eight of us contestants just talking and Will's freaking out like, why are you shutting everything down? This is gold. Get in here. This is yeah. perfect.
2: <laughs> a lot when
1: Will phones Sean Hayes on his phone yeah. while he's doing laps. He literally just handed that phone to Dave for like 20 minutes and our team is talking to Sean Hayes being like, "Hey, Will and Grace is cool. Don't really know what else to say. Well, Will is doing laps." Like <laughs> there when we did the uh the actual race and they do the flyby with the the jets, they cut out the part where we sang both national anthems. Like yeah. <laughs> we were out there hands on heart and I'm the only one of the Canadians that really knew the the American national anthem, so I'm up there belting it out with Greg and Brendan and then the six Canadians doing the Canadian national anthem and wills up
2: there standing and singing. Like it was good. It was really fun. It was, it was such a neat vibe. It was such a neat vibe. It was so much fun. And you know, we get called up, we won the aesthetics, but we lost the race. I know there was some online argument of one way or another who deserves to go. Uh, uh, it doesn't matter to me. So we got called <laughs> up. There was, there was zero feeling like anyone was going home. I, I don't know. They didn't, they still hadn't played their cards at that point saying it was a non-elimination. We just were like, if if you look at that episode, I'm standing up there quite matter of factly. I wasn't worried or panicked or anything. It just didn't feel like that was something that was going to happen. So I'm glad they didn't. Yeah. It stepped, but
0: it, well, it would have been so hard. How do you, you know like in the previous team up challenge in season one, it would have been very easy to tell, you know, whose build was whose and who did what, obviously this one, you know, you're all building the same stuff. So it would have been probably too hard to decouple, you know, the performances. So, you know, to your point, it probably became evident as you went along that they would have that same st- struggle, uh, you know, making that yeah. happen. But I think what, what I always say, and I said this on the podcast, but it almost felt like this was the, the right time for a challenge to be non elimination for it to be the teamwork based challenge. Because I, I always joked that in the previous season in season two, everyone just sort of seemed like they were breaking down more and more episode after episode, more stress, more everything. And and we could sort of see it on their faces. And I felt like this was that pick-me-up that really just fun moment that like you might have needed here to get to re-energize for the rest of the, that rest of the challenges.
2: I agree. It it was the reset that we definitely needed. When no the biggest out. controversy is if you pronounce it decal
1: or decal, I mean, that's, <laughs> that's got to be something there for you. They also cut out the parts where uh, they're coming out saying this is in miles per hour and this is this and this many miles. And I'm like, I have no idea what that means. The rest <laughs> of the world uses metric. Can you convert that to kilometers for us, please? <laughs>
0: Yes, I know my science teacher used to always talk about that, how it's only the US, Liberia and Burma are the only three countries that use uh, the imperial system. Um, So yeah. (laughs) Uh, Well, this was a lot of fun, uh, even for us at home. And, you know, but we move on then to episode 12. And this was all about who's going to get to the finale, who's going to, and I noticed that like in the edit where I didn't feel like uh, in previous seasons, they had spent so much time in the penultimate episode being like, who's going to get it and who's going to make it. And so I felt like the pressure was probably definitely on, this is the waterworks challenge, the fountain challenge. And, you know, the first thing I have to ask the two of you about was the fountain technology, you know, itself, where it seemed like that was such a hurdle for a lot of the team's you know, being unfamiliar with that. But for you, it was probably second nature.
2: (laughs) I think fluid dynamics is something we get exposed to a lot at work. So there was some core concepts of it that made sense to us. Um, But true to what you were just saying, very early on in this challenge, it felt like a water challenge that involved Lego not a Lego challenge (laughs) that involved water. So there was some, some interesting takes and some interesting views on how to go. And I think when you talk to creation team, we all went very differently than what they were expecting, but we were, we were told that they didn't want a traditional water fountain per se. So, you know, we weren't doing that looping arc of, of water coming out. Like there was at the front of the, the, the studio set. Um, but crash, Crash and I felt comfortable with some core concepts and we did the horizontal paddle wheel, which is perhaps an atypical one, but we were able to manipulate some certain components of Lego pieces being light and uh, having large surface area and water having reduced friction. So we were very comfortable with the concept of how to create horizontal movement and then perhaps not as evident as that archway. Uh, it, it it looked a little obtuse, but it's, it's created two solid channels in there, each with their own independent. Waterway, so that one could control another water wheel, paddle wheel that controlled the sun. And then the other one was actually a third water feature, which did not work overly well, where we plugged it at the terminus and poked little tiny holes into it to have a gentle rain effect. Didn't translate very well onto TV, but. We were also too worried about creating two, the holes too big and then lose some of our head pressure. And then our other core functions don't work, Yeah, <laughs> but you'd have a single water pump and they provided us with a three quarter inch hose and half inch hose, a couple of Y splitters and one reducer, which uh, is not a lot to work with. And the the hose has a weird bend radius which meant that you couldn't necessarily create harsh angles like you normally would with with lego um the way that dave and emily engineered it into their flamingo is nothing short of amazing uh very 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 hard to create hollow lego pieces that would inherently be strong but to be able to house the hoses from uh the water itself it was it was complicated. Um, one thing Crash and I actually knew a little bit about is if it's sort of like the garden hose thing. If you've got water coming out your garden hose and it only goes two feet, but you want it to go six feet, what do you do? Put your thumb over the end of it, right? And it yeah. create a, a restricted aperture, which makes it go further. So we started playing with restricted apertures by jamming Lego bricks down the hose to create a different <laughs> pressure, pressure differential. And it turned out that that was kind of a missing element in a few other builds. And we just talked to some of the other teams about what we were comfortable doing. And I I know at least one other team implemented that exact concept and it worked quite favorably for them as well. So this was a tough challenge. Honestly, this is the one creatively that maybe I struggled the most on and uh, Crash had pretty good epiphany because... As I've already alluded to, we like to play tribute to previous builds. And we went with that frog thing right away, thinking it was a tie-in. Um, and that first comment from Amy was, we're <laughs> wanting you to do something unique. It's like, yeah. So there's that that crush of my, oh no, what do we do? Yeah,
1: we actually... <sighs> we flip, uh, sorry, flip-flop between like seven different concepts. Yeah. Like what can we do? We can do Easter. Okay. What about this? We can do springtime. We can do uh, like different holidays. We could do candy land. We could do like, we, we, we're focused so much on the technical side of this because the water was the one thing that we had that we knew how to use that we, our story was lost. And I know Steve's given me credit for it, but the ducks, that wasn't me. That was Stacy. Yeah. Stacy, I was like, <laughs> frogs aren't going to work. I can't make this lily pad function work. It's going to look bland against the green bowl that we built. And Stacy was like, well, why don't you do like ducks? And I was like, thank you. Oh, I can, <laughs> I can probably make that work. Let me see if I can brick build some ducks. So
2: yeah, this this episode had the most creative fade for us, and it was the really the first time we had to pivot on anything.
1: Yeah, yeah, our first major pivot anyway, um, in terms of story, and it it was super collaborative in the room too. Like uh, Stacy giving us the duck story, and I think we went. I think the only table that didn't ask for help with water flow was Greg and Brendan. We were at like I spent time backstage with Nick for an hour explaining how friction loss works in hose lines and how you can create less pressure by extending the length of your corrugated hose and putting a coil in the bottom or you can create more head pressure with the aperture restriction like Steve talked about and I was just explaining all of that and then Dave came over and I was like this is how this works with water and this is how this works with water and I honestly I think Greg and Brendan they were the only team that didn't come to us to ask for help with how the pump aspect of everything would work and how to manipulate that in the best way possible because I think Greg and Brendan even though they got sent home because of the the function of their thing not working the way they wanted to, it it was a clean, good looking windmill. Yeah. Like yeah. it didn't look messy. Ours looked kind of haphazard and messy in places and I kind of like that aesthetic that we had, but theirs, theirs was super clean with ultra clean lines and everything working the way it's supposed to, except for the tulips going up and down. Yeah. So theirs was an exceptional build and any other day of the week, it would have got in, but it it just so happened that this was a final four, not a final five or a final 10 that we did this on.
0: Yeah, Uh, I know it's, it it was heartbreaking, you know, to watch, but, you know, it was a great, you know, showing for the two of you, obviously all your functions worked just, you know, swimmingly and it was a, you know, and it's hard to say if you made the top two, I guess you were the second team to make it to the finale. So I would call that a top two. Um, you know, even if it wasn't sort of as formal as the previous episodes. And now we're here. We're at the finale. And, you know, the theme is master build. You can build whatever you want. And your build is the autumnal Aurora with your concept about Lake Louise. And so talk me through how you arrived at this concept. Was this something that you sort of had planned before? Like, talk talk to me about all that.
2: I wish we had planned more before. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> I think Nick and Stacy had the most cohesive uh, plan going in even before. Before they knew they were going to be in the finale. Because um, right from the get go, Nick was drawing and plotting and they would have in their their team meetings, because they, they would have team meetings before every judging where they would go over story and quote script and whatever. They were the most technically prepared team for judging out of anybody there. Um, they would sit down and figure all that stuff out. So I think they were the most prepared going in. Steve and I were kind of blindsided by it because we were already way ahead of where we thought we were going to be. And that's not <laughs> knock on our skill or Steve or anything like that, but we had a plan when we made it down there, make it to episode four. Or anything beyond that is gravy. Um, <laughs> so we kind of went well we both like hiking. We both live near the mountains. This is an iconic mountain hiking type place. Let's do hiking at Lake Louise and we kind of figured all right we'll build the lake we'll build the mountains. We had no idea what we were going to do beyond that. But We got let go, I remember we got let go early from the fountain challenge and we didn't start building that afternoon for the finale. We started fresh the next morning. So we had a few hours to, okay, how the hell are we gonna make this work? And we had some concepts kind of figured in our brain. We knew that we had to put big beehive and the devil's thumb and the tea house and some other elements of hiking and camping in there and lots and lots of trees. We wanted to do it in autumn to incorporate more color because there's a great phenomenon with this type of tree that grows around our mountain area called a larch. Where it's a coniferous tree but it turns yellow and loses all its needles like bright oranges reds yellows golds It's a fantastic sight to see if you get a chance to see it. So it's very iconic to the area. And um, the turquoise blue of the lake, we wanted to do with the translucent light blue, but there wasn't enough of it left in the brick pit to do it. So we had to to change our tactic on that as well. And all these little factors tying in to figure out, okay, how are we going to make this work and make it function? Um, I think we did really well with what we had we couldn't do a true aurora because amy said and you saw it in the show how do you get more color into that well Mm -hmm. there's no orange or red in a true aurora there's blue there's purple there's green you might see a little bit of red if you're in a certain area but it's not to the extent that we had to make it to make it satisfy what they were kind of looking for. Um, and then the twist and I'll let Steve carry it from there.
2: <laughs> yeah, I I'd, I'd say I wish we had planned ahead a little bit more. That, that may not be the best way to phrase it. I think we probably could have been a little more game planned walking into it. But my, my partner and I were, were quite comfortable with improvising as we needed to. And of course, being a master build, you had less parameters put on you. So I didn't feel an overwhelming sense of frustration or doom but we we set out with uh, with creating the lake and then working around it and then realized we needed more space than what we currently had and they had provided us all with the exact same size base plate or base rather rather to work off of and then i had to talk to creation team i said do we have to restrict ourselves to that and they said nope so i pushed it about eight to ten inches over on each side and out the back <laughs> <laughs> uh, i've I've been told it's the largest creation in Lego master's u s a history. <laughs> it was massive, uh, and it was just hordes and hordes and hordes and hordes and hordes and hordes and hordes of brick. And I love doing rock sculpturing and um and landscaping is is one of the things that i I like doing with my my local club. So it fell within our concept of what our comfort level was and crash was building the buildings and And then they tell us to stop building. And there's a twist. And <laughs> early, early in our time uh, on production, they had talked to us about some of the influential sets of our youth. And um, I had talked about the Yellow Castle, but I'd also talked about the Galaxy Explorer set, nine two eight, uh, classic space. And luck would have it, they knew they knew we didn't know that they were reissuing that Galaxy Explorer later in the year for the 90 years of play. So they homed in on that one for myself as the set to uh, uh, to give me. And then they gave Crash one of his original Blacktron sets, um, which, man, you couldn't have asked for a harder way to incorporate into <laughs> what we were doing. For starters, we're doing micro scale, and then they give us space elements. Um, so we used the the big translucent green yellow dish from Crash's set as part of the moon. Um, there was a lighting feature that was in his set that we we used to illuminate one of the buildings for Lake Louise, uh, the house. Uh, we used all the translucent yellow bricks from my set. We used the light gray antenna mast. We used ray guns as observation deck telescopes. We used the helmets from the classic space characters as propane tanks outside of the building. Um, we incorporated a lot. And as luck would have it, there is a very iconic brick in the Galaxy Explorer which pays tribute to the set number 928. But for some reason, and I don't know what the origin of it, it actually is LL 928. That is the printed brick that is in that set from 1979. I don't actually know what the LL means, but it was perfect for us because now it's Lake Louise. It's an actual street sign. <laughs> so we framed yeah. it out and we put it in the parking lot of the building. So um, we, I, I don't know how heavily the judges were weighing what we used and how we used it, but I thought we were extremely creative in how we were able to incorporate those into our micro scale build. Um, yeah, well, what I'm glad you could explain
0: fun. that because I feel like the show sort of said, you use the one black piece and that printed piece from the space set. Like, you know, I don't think they gave you in some ways enough credit for, to your point, all the many
2: creative uses. And we used quite a few. In fact, um, if you're a purist, as far as the vintage set collections go, we used all the expensive parts. Every last one of the <laughs> parts, <laughs> we used all the, the the things that we'll never be able to find again, but that's okay. Uh, it was all for the right reason. And there was the excitement of having this fun set from our youth and being able to incorporate it into something which was going to be our, our quintessential piece. Um, and it one would think 24 hours is a lot of time, but wow, we we used every minute efficiently and we were still really pushed for time towards the end. Um, it's something that didn't make it to TV, but when it comes to rock building, a lot of people like burps and lurps, those big, ugly rock pieces. They have their time in place. I do own a bunch um, I typically like to do brick built and slope built rock features. So hour five or six, the brick masters come by and brickmaster Jamie goes, looking good. You should think about burps. Nope, not using, not using them. <laughs> hour 10, he comes by, hey, have you ever considered using burps? I'm like, nope, not using them. I'm using thousands upon thousands upon thousands of dark gray two by fours and two by sixes. And we get about three feet off the table and we're down to like the last six hours and brickmaster Jamie. goes so have you ever thought about burps i'm like oh yes (laughs) so started using burps along the top just because we needed quite a bit more height to the build um again i don't always like using them they got the time and place uh per i guess the best time and place to do it is when the top the clock is ticking and you actually have to produce something so it was uh it was definitely the time and place um we were Quite literally putting final details, putting in trees, putting in color features everywhere we could, right to the final seconds. I don't uh, think people appreciate
1: how hard it is to build those micro scale trees. Like my hands cramped. I probably built close to 2,000 trees. Hundreds and, hundreds and hundreds of them. Yeah. Wow. It was crazy.
2: Um, another thing worth mentioning to your viewers uh, the fact that our family showed up, one. 100% out of the blue. I I can attest to the fact that I was literally speechless and the only thing I could do was cry. I had no idea that was happening. Will had been infamous for tricking and teasing and adding all these things that sometimes make it to the show, sometimes don't. So when he started talking about our family, I was I was super cash, like, "Oh, all he's going to say and, and that's what I would say if they were here, but they're not." But then <laughs> I I heard the doors open and I looked over and I saw Steve's sister running in and my daughter i believe was beside her and i just that's my last real memory (laughs) (laughs) i started crying a lot (laughs) we had to stop filming apparently i made camera people cry and jamie and amy were crying and like it was a very emotional moment (laughs) i remember
1: when will said that would it be great if your families could see what you're doing and i'm thinking all right we've been stuck in a hotel for however long Because of COVID protocol, I turned and looked at the big LED screen that was behind it. I'm like, all right, we're going to get a video Zoom chat or something. And then I hear Emily scream and family starts running out behind me. And I turn around and there's my sister just booking it towards me. I lose (laughs) it. I'm like... And I remember being like, you, you made me cry on TV. Oh, it was, it was so awesome. But that's, it was just a moment that I did not expect having family show up. And I know Stacy was emotional having her dad there and, Nick having Sunita show up and oh my God, like Emily and Dave just, Dave got lucky because he got to talk to his wife on, on set, uh, through a video chat, Will phoned his wife on set after we phoned Sean Hayes. So that was a nice moment for him because he wanted to play up the, the Thor aspect and why doesn't Dave drive a car and all of that stuff. And (laughs) a little bit they were doing. So Dave had his on screen moment with Steph already, but I think seeing her in person, he, uh, yeah, he became even more emotional. Like I was having a my own personal struggles around the time of the Marvel build. Like the doctors had just been eliminated, and I'm, we sent them off really, really in style over the weekend. And that second day of building for the Marvel build, I was not in any way, shape, or form should have been on set that day, but I was. Um, and I remember talking to my sister that Sunday morning, just texting back and forth, and being like, I don't know if I can keep this up, and. She must've known that they were going to send her down to Atlanta if we made it down. (laughs) Cause, uh, cause she was like, no, you got to keep going. You got to keep going. You can do this, man. Like this is, this is your wheelhouse. You can do this. You can do this. I'm Like you, you are very supportive of me. I've never seen you be this supportive in one moment. What's going on? And she's like, no, man, this is just a once in a lifetime opportunity. You got to be able to do this. I'm like, all right. And now looking back on it, I'm like, Oh that, oh my God, I can't believe she suckered me in like that. She just
2: wanted to trip to Atlanta. <laughs> it was uh it was truly an amazing moment. It was just so <sighs> incredible to have that there. That my family <laughs> I had been talking to them all over the phone, but of course they weren't experiencing what we were experiencing. So it was it was neat to have them there in the studio that day. So yeah. thank you very much, Fox, for pulling that one together.
0: Yes, and especially after the previous season, we they didn't get to do that. So I'm sure, to your point, you weren't really expecting it. But what a special yeah. moment! Yeah, and and Stephen, you know, I think you were saying, you know, through your tears, like I, I didn't realize how much I miss them. You know, it was just it was really touching. Um, like I said, I, I really do like getting to know you. I wasn't just uh, kidding, you know. But I feel like it's those sort of real human moments in reality TV that I think are sort of su- sometimes the most compelling ones. So, so thank you for being open and generous on the show. But, you know, so unfortunately we have to talk about how this episode ends, um, you know, so, you know, it gets down to things and, you know, they're announcing, you know, who the winner <coughs> is and you come up just slightly short, second place, nothing to slouch about, nothing Ooh. to be ashamed of, but, you know, I, and I, in our, you know, kind of brief interaction postseason. I commented just really how like magnanimous and really like amazing I felt like the two of you handled that moment you know but talk us through what it's like you know when you're on set when you're living it real time you know kind of uh you know coming coming close
2: so straight up no regrets I and Crash and I maybe it's years of experience maybe it's the field we work in um maybe it was our attitude when we went down there maybe it's a combination of everything we went down with very simple expectations of ourselves Um, make our family proud, make firefighters proud, make Canadians proud. We had a chance to represent some, uh, uh, some important aspects of who we were. And I've, I felt like by the time we got to that final episode, we had exceeded everything we had set out to do. We we went out every day having fun and, and going back to that whole, did you prepare for the finale? We literally played every challenge to the challenge. The challenge was about meeting the needs of that day and not thinking any further beyond. And um, when you talk about some of the earliest teams eliminated, the next day wasn't a guarantee, right? So we we lived every day in the moment. We lived every day uh, as honorably and good intentioned as we could. I am. I'm so immeasurably proud and happy for Nick and Stacy in every conceivable fashion. They are fantastic ambassadors for the Lego community. They are they're out there in the public eye in, in a greater capacity than Steve and I ever could, and they're just the the, the quintessential positive role models. Um, their build was spectacular. The judges <laughs> had no easy feat. You had ours at micro scale. Dave and Emily was at minifig scale. Yeah, life scale for what Nick and Stacy had, it would be like comparing a rutabaga to a loaf of bread to an orange. Like <laughs> it would be so hard to figure out where the 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 winning recipe was in that that dynamic. But man, to stand next to what Nick and Stacy was was creating in that studio, it was obvious to me. I felt like it was obvious that they were the top build in the room, and uh, you could see us on stage. It, it almost looks like I'm having a somber moment where I put my hand on Crash's shoulder. And and all I said to him before that is like, dude, I am so proud of who you and I are and what we've done here. And I am, I'm really hoping our friends have have what it takes to win. It wasn't, we, I personally, I don't think I had any delusions or grandeur of anything like that. I, <laughs> I did not expect my name to be called. Um, I, again, exceeded everything I needed to. I had the most amazing journey with my buddy there. And um my family was now standing there watching me like i had i had everything i needed it was it was there uh, that was my victory that was my win for sure for sure crash
1: yeah um i won't lie when we got to the top 2 there was a moment in my brain where i went holy crap we could win this yeah and i kind of want to win this and then it went away and i'm like you know what this this is a once in a lifetime experience we're never going to get to do this again the the victory here is the the friends that i made like would it be been nice to have 100 grand U.S. to split between us? Sure. Whatever. I don't really care. I'm not a social media guy. I'm not out there in the world where people need to get a hold of me and need me to be exposed that way. So it's almost a blessing in disguise that we didn't win. Um, for me anyway, at least the way that I like to live my life. Um, I'm super excited that Nick and Stacy won. I would have been super excited if Dave and Emily won. They Definitely. both had exceptional builds, and they absolutely deserve to be in that top uh, three with us um i know one person gets crowned lego master and but i at the end of the day i feel like all of us were winners for that and i said this in our post interview and it never made it to television and for our side by sides but the victory here wasn't that somebody won lego masters it was the way that our group came together um if we go when we went to a couple conventions like at chicago i don't know what it was like for you at in virginia but uh Chicago and Seattle, and you talked to some season two and season one people. The experience they had, yeah, they were close with the people they were with on the show, but it wasn't like what we had. There were moments when production tried to create drama and you can see it, the points when they're like, talk trash. And you know, there was a lot of apologizing afterwards. We we couldn't do it. We were super tight knit. I like I said, I was talking to Austin. Earlier today, I talked we talked to the doctors literally every day as a group, it just it's just the way it is. And we have been for about a year now. I talked to Stacy yesterday for an hour while I was at work, and it would have been longer had a call not come in that I had to go on like it's It's an amazing, eclectic group of people that forged something that cannot be replicated and will not be replicated ever again. Um, I think it started from the first day that we showed up at the hotel and just high-fiving and handshakes and hugs at the end of having a couple beers out on the patio and going through boot camp together and uh doing challenges on the show and experiencing things together that people outside of that realm don't understand so is it disappointing we didn't win it all absolutely not we did ourselves proud we did something that's completely out of my wheelhouse and i'm super happy that steve got the experience that he did out of it um so at end of the day My victory is these people that I get to take with me uh, everywhere I go, whether it be Greg and Brendan or Eddie and Aziza or whoever. These people will forever have a place in my heart and they'll hold a place that nobody else, even my closest of friends that I've had for 20, 30, 40 years. It's just a different type of bond that I am forever grateful for that production allowed us to have.
0: Ah, Well, that's so special. I mean, and, and I'd have to c- commend the two of you. I think like there's a million attitudes that you can have, you know, when you're in this sort of position. And so to hear that this is what you're taking away from it, and it was even what you took away from it in that very moment, I think just really is very commendable to the two of you. Um, so I, ha- I have to acknowledge that, you know, they, they often say that uh, when you look at the Olympics podium, that the gold person's really happy that the bronze person, like, you know, they almost missed the podium. So they're incredibly happy. And then it's that silver medalist. That's like the most upset because they, they were so close to gold. Um, and so, you know, to hear that that that's not how you both saw it and really what you're taking away from it, at least to me, just feels so commendable and really, it, you know, it speaks to your point to this special group, this special recipe of ingredients that came together, um, you know, to offer this really exceptional experience, uh, which you know, I, I'm I'm like so lucky I get to even hear some of the stories to feel like I'm even one step closer to it all um, is
2: really, really nice. Well, thank you for the kind words, Michael. I really appreciate that. Our our community involvement and our friendships that we have made is just going to be the the everlasting victory for us. Like, <laughs> it's not a cliche. It truly is that way. Like, um, I don't know if you heard about it from any of the other cast members. Crash and I, when we got home, we really wanted to do something that celebrated this tight knit bond that we had with with other cast members, um, within the fire service and military, police, fire, EMS. Uh, there's something called a challenge coin, which is basically like a membership card that you keep on you to remind you that you're part of a bigger family. And we had Lego Masters challenge coins made and we carry them with us, right? And and on the back in Latin, it roughly translates to when I say Lego, you say Masters. And that was (laughs) our little pump up like that crash talked about it a little bit but every morning start of every day he did a little powwow thing where we get all the group together and and get the energy in the room flowing so that everyone walked out and we totally pumped up and ready to go for the daily challenges so
1: you can actually hear my voice change from episode one to episode 13 because i was screaming at the top of my lungs literally every morning we were there <laughs>
0: That's oh, good. well, it's that's very special. And, uh, you know, obviously, to our listeners, they they held up the coins, so I could see them. And I'm very jealous that I don't have one. I, you know, I feel like when it comes to Lego, I always want things and Lego released a set of coins. You know, I got all of them, you know, so I, I feel yeah. like, uh, you know, when it comes to collectibles, I'm all about it. Um, but so, you know, obviously, now the show is over. And, you know, I'm curious, you know, we talked about at the the top of the episode, what did you do to prepare for the show? Now, looking back on the experience, what do you wish you could have told yourself to do? Or what would you tell the next, the season four people who are listening to this? You know, they don't even know if they've been cast yet, but they're in the process you know, what would you tell them now having gone through the whole experience that might've changed your preparation?
1: I think for for us, I don't think it would have changed a single thing we did to prepare. Um, (laughs) And and that's truthful. We took everything as it was, as it was presented in the moment. And that might be, uh, as Steve has alluded to, just because of the way we're wired, where we get a problem thrown at us At any given moment, in our line of work, and we have to solve that problem in the moment and then move on. Um, We don't. If you linger on a lot of the bad stuff that you've done in your job, as far as what we do, you're going to pay the price later on. Um, So having that ability to say this is the problem I have to solve right now as the challenge was presented and then solve it to the best of my ability and then move on to the next if I'm able to go to the next was a really key attribute that I think played well for us because Good, bad or ugly, we we made it something that we persevered through um, because of how we're wired and we didn't take anything personally or held a grudge on a build that we had in the moment, right? Like, sure, there's hindsight when the show was thrown on. Oh, man, I wish I could have done this or I wish I could have done this. <laughs> but in the moment, live in the moment, do what you got to do to get the job done, put your best foot forward, solve the problem move on that's yeah absolutely
2: that that is such a, a core component to it uh, there were often times where the the general feeling in the room was stress the time is real the the parameters are real the competition is real and there is these very very significant periods of stress but they are circumstantial stresses and what you need to be able is to offload and download that very, very quickly. Turns out through our chosen profession, that's something we did normally and we didn't actually realize it because we were having these acute periods of stress and then we could normalize and then acute period of stress and then normalize. Whereas I think the general feeling for some people was the stress would compound. So it was really important, however, we managed to do it if it's just ingrained in in our behaviors. If you have to think about it, you need to be able to leave set and download that information, leave it. That was circumstantial stress. I'm now away from that. You can ground yourself and then you can make yourself better prepared for future challenges. Um, that That's a huge one. Living in the moment. Crash mentioned that just a second ago. I can't stress that one enough. Um, there were a couple of times where as we were getting close to judging, there was a team that felt like perhaps it was their time to go. Um, you could see that the mood would change. They would be very upset with the circumstance and not smiling and not joking and laughing. And that would be that moment where Steve and I would go over and tell a joke, put their arm arm around them. Like I remember walking onto the set the one time um, with a cast member who was quite certain that their team was going home that day. And I put my arm around them and I said, I need you to stop. and I need you to look around. You were in one of the greatest places you could ever wrap your head around. If you had told yourself a year ago, you were going to be here. You would have said no way. So sit here, right here, right now. Remember this moment for the rest of your life. This is awesome. This opportunity is amazing. Be here right now. Be ever present. What happens in the next hour is out of your hands. So live in that moment. Be be thoughtful and and respectful of your time and your energy and ground yourself as quickly as possible. And don't forget to have fun.
1: (laughs) And if something wasn't working for you, don't be scared to change or pivot. Like you don't have to do a drastic, we need to start over, like Liz and Aaron's pirate ship or Austin and Justin's castle, but be ready to Manipulate what you have and alter it to fit what the judges are kind of telling you right there were that was one thing we learned early on right at that Jurassic build the Jurassic World build was judges are saying something. Listen to the judges (laughs) because you're going to do better if you do what they say. They are judging you. Is it something that you necessarily are good at or want to do? No, but it's something that they're trying to get out of you so that you can kind of build upon what you've done and be a better builder moving forward. I had a little mantra when Steve and I would get stuck on something. It was always adapt overcome and persevere if steve was stuck on something i'd turn and be like adapt overcome persevere let's go if i was getting stuck on something that would be the thing that played in my head and be like okay i gotta i gotta figure out something else here i gotta get through it and i gotta move on to the next thing that we have to do and just those little those little things where you soak in what you're actually feeling steve and i took turns leaving the table for a little decompression and would go to other tables just to talk to them, whether they needed it or we needed it. It was always <laughs> to make sure that everyone was kind of up and not down um, as much as we could facilitate that. And I yeah. think that's another key aspect is understanding that not only is the experience in the room that you're in unique and something you'll never probably ever do again, but that the people you're with and the shared experience is something that you can take with you for the rest of your life. and. No one can take that from you. Yeah. Absolutely. Wow.
0: I know. It's, I mean, there's so many great themes that sort of come out there and, and it's sort of good advice, I think, for a lot of people going in is, you know, it's about having fun. It's about managing stress and re- and finding resilience in those moments, you know, to keep going, you know, because... What an opportunity, you know, what a unique experience, you know, that, you know, sort of like a, you know, if you don't blink, it'll, or if you uh, blink, it'll be over, you know, and then you'll have wished you had soaked it up a little bit more and, and the like. So And
1: for the love of God, have fun. Be yourself yeah, and have
0: fun. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I mean, and, and that's what we want to see too, you know, at home, you know, we want to see you be yourself and bring your best self and, you know, and while we don't want you to manufacture an upbeat attitude, if you have an upbeat attitude, you'll be more yourself and you'll bring new ideas and more b- and better ideas. And th- that'll translate on the show. So I think to your point, the more that you can sort of, um, you know, uh, get, get, you know, take that leap, give yourself away to the process and and have a lot of fun along the way. I think you'll, it'll, pr- sounds like it'll work out better for you. managing your own stress and such, but it also probably works better for the product of your builds and the show and your, and your experience. So, um, great, great words to live by for sure. (laughs) I agree. Well, you know, now we've reached the end of, you know, your episodes. And so, you know, you know, obviously a lot of people are probably wondering what's next for the two of you, you know, you know, uh, both the team, Steven and Steven, your Lego building, you know, like what's next for the two of you?
2: Um, I think as a a team dynamic, Crash and I are definitely open for any other opportunities that come our way. Uh, we within reason,
1: within reason,
2: within reason. Yeah, we Maybe when we can't calendar, <laughs> not, not a calendar. <laughs> we'll leave that for the young guys. Um, since coming home, we're City of Calgary employees, and there was a new uh, transportation unit that was going to be launching a new product coming up. And we got a chance to work with them and do a Lego build version of of this new train that Calgary is going to be using in a few years. That was fun. Um, so we got a chance to do another project since we've we've come home. Um, we are already seeing that there's other opportunities through Lego masters. Like you saw the holiday bricktacular. So, uh, Fox, if you're out there listening, uh, <laughs> <laughs> we're available, we work shift work, so we can, we can make it happen. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know, as a, as a builder myself, I'm heavily involved with a local club, uh, I also am heavily involved with community events locally as well as brick can that runs in Vancouver in April. Uh, so i'm I'm forever in the convention scene. i I've been for many, many years, and I always will continue to. Uh, my wife and I are just trying to figure out my Lego budget for the year, but <laughs> i'm I'm hoping I'm hoping. Brick can in Vancouver, Bricks Cascade in Portland, uh, Brick World Chicago, Bricks in the Six Toronto, and Scareback in Denmark are on my list this year. I wow. hope to see some <laughs> of you people there. We'll see. That's an ambitious goal. But uh, uh, if I can keep some uh, momentum going in the hobby, which I feel it's interesting. There are some people that left set that openly said, I'm never building. I, again, I'm not building for the rest of this year. <laughs> i came home so inspired i couldn't wait to start building i instantly jumped into projects i got some collaborative builds on the go with some other people right now so i am loving it lego's in my blood it will always be in my blood yeah, when I he says it. there were people that came
1: home and went i'm not building for the rest of the year he's talking about me <laughs> uh,
2: i didn't want to put your name out there but i heard it for more than just you buddy
1: yeah i uh i was a little overwhelmed Uh, Getting back from the show and I, when we got back, we were given these limited edition Lego Masters logo sets uh, in monochrome gray, white and black and everyone was holding on to theirs and oh should I build it should I not build it And the day I got home I sat down and I videotaped me building it and sent it to everyone in our group chat and people were losing their minds I can't believe you opened that (laughs) (laughs) and I was like this is the last Lego set I'm building for a while and I took three months off after filming before I did any kind of Lego building after that Um, so yeah I was a little overwhelmed and needed a break did some other stuff Uh, I'm building again I got a Doctor Strange uh set that for christmas that i'm going to be building to put into my modulars the jazz club is out now so i'm gonna gonna hold off on that till i'm done dr strange but then i'll go out and grab that because i love the modular sets Um, i'm i will forever be a set builder but i'll assist steve on whatever he wants uh, if he's got a mock coming up that he needs help with in some hours now that I'm not at the training academy anymore and got some hours, I can help him with that. Uh, as far as conventions go, I'm signed up for Brick Can in Vancouver, but if the next recruit class happens to overlap with it, I might not be able to go for the full period. Um, I'd love to do Chicago again. I love Chicago, but that might conflict with a trip to Europe that I'm trying to plan. So. <laughs> We'll we'll make it. We'll see. Well, I'm going to be playing conventions by year, Uh, and I had a talk with Stacy about that yesterday. I'm like, I I don't really know what my schedule is going to be for the next little bit here because a lot of stuff is up in the air. So, a lot of stuff that I put on hold to go on Lego Masters that I want to get done this year. Um yeah, but it, like Steve said, Lego's in the blood. I'm not the huge mock builder that he is, but uh it's not something that I'm going to give up just because I was on a show about Lego. It's still going to be a part <laughs> of my part of my life. It's just not always the priority the way some people put it.
0: Yeah. Well, and if they keep coming out with superhero sets, it'll be hard to say no. At least that's how well, I feel about it. <laughs> it's, it's been pretty easy
1: to say no to a few of them. Like there's, there's a few that I've bought, but I've only got so much shelf space,
2: right? So <laughs> that's forever the eight ball problem. Yeah.
0: Um, well, Amazing! Thank you both so much. Uh, you know we've reached the end of my questions. You know thank you both so much for just being so generous with your time and your stories and and the like. I mean it was such a pleasure to get to relive it through your eyes.
2: <laughs> well, it was our pleasure to come talk to you. I I love your format. I've listened to a lot of your podcasts and look forward to listening to some more.
0: Yes, and you know if you're both up for it,
2: you know obviously there is a season four in the
0: works, and we're going to need some people to help us break down those episodes and those challenges. So I'd love to have you both back to help us break down an episode.
2: Sign me up. Sure.
0: <laughs> well, perfect. Um, well, like I said, uh, if people want to, though, keep in touch with you, obviously they're going to have this podcast. They're going to they're not going to be able to get enough of you. Um, you know, uh, Crash, where, where can they keep in touch with you?
1: If they want to follow me on Instagram, that's fine. But I don't respond to messages from people I don't know. I'm pretty notorious for that. I'm kind of yes. I'm out there, but I'm kind of quiet and private that way. Uh, but <laughs> I'm at Firehose YYC on on, uh, Instagram and Twitter. Twitter is mostly where I rant about politics and different things. And Instagram, I don't have a lot of Lego content. I think the last thing I posted on there was playing Shinny on outdoor ice. So, uh, but
0: if you want to follow me, that's where I'm at. Perfect. And Stephen, where can people keep in touch with you? Uh,
2: social media is a bit of a new entity for me. My 14 <laughs> year old daughter is the one that's managing my accounts. But because I've got a younger person keeping an eye on things, I, I'm usually able to answer. Uh, questions I know I've been contacted by people who've been following me and um sometimes it's a question about sets or what we built or they want to show me a picture of what their their kids are building I'm I'm totally open to that I I think one of the bigger victories when we talk about what we got out of our experience one of the bigger victories is finding out people were inspired by things that we did so I I love seeing what the next generation of builder is doing um I'm I'm a pretty open book I'll tell you what I can tell you there's <laughs> There's a few things we're still contractually obligated not to talk about, but uh, i'm I'm absolutely open to talking to the fan community. I can be followed mostly on instagram um and Facebook at Yo-yo Firebricks. Uh, that's the pretty pretty easy way to get a hold of me. And uh, the past content from this past year, I did breakdowns of all the episodes. I've been doing micro builds of our individual episodes um, doing some new year's cleaning. My wife and I were clearing out a portion of my closet. I discovered I have over 80 Lego t-shirts from various different conventions (laughs) and things. So I'm now starting to commit to wearing one a day (laughs) and, uh, at the end of every week, I'm going to do a, a listing of some of the, my favorite shirts. And then we're going to do a poll on Instagram. And at the end of the year, we'll have the great shirt battle off to find out what's the greatest Lego shirt I own for the year. <laughs> 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 so there will be some ridiculous content. There's also some fun stuff. I try to do firefighter facts every now and then, because I know uh, there's a lot of firefighters and a lot of young kids out there who like firefighters that are following me. So I'm, yeah, there's at Yo Yo Firebricks. That's where you can find me.
0: Well, perfect. Sounds like there'll be a lot coming uh, for people following you. But like I said, thank you both so much. This is such a pleasure for me. And congrats on your really amazing run. I mean, what a, what a thank performance, you. such a consistent team, and you should be so, so proud of everything you're able to do on the show.
2: I'm super proud of us. So I I appreciate all your kind words. The fan community has been absolutely amazing to us. So it's, uh, it's been incredible. Cool. Thanks, Michael. Thanks, Michael.
0: As you can tell, it was a blast getting to talk to Steven and Steven. And I just love this postseason setting as I really feel like I get to know the contestants even more. And I just love hearing everything from their perspective, which is exactly why I can't wait to talk to even more teams from this season of Lego Masters. So hit me up on social media to let me know who you want to hear from next and stay tuned and subscribe because I've got lots coming your way. So if you want to follow along with the podcast, be sure to subscribe on whatever podcast platform you're listening to it now. And if you're listening on iTunes, be sure to leave us a review as it really helps others find the podcast. If you want even more LEGO content, be sure to check out my YouTube channel, Talk Bricks, where I cover the LEGO news for the week every Saturday. And you can follow the channel on all social media platforms with the username at Talk Bricks. And if you want to follow the podcast on Instagram and Facebook, it's Talk Bricks Masters. And on Twitter, it's TB Masters. Thanks again, and I'll see you guys next time.